Hello, and welcome to the Behind the Brawl podcast brought to you by Barbells for Boobs, where we are redefining the standard of care and breast health and improving the quality of life post-diagnosis. I'm your host, Zayana Hansen, and the founder of this incredible organization. Thank you for joining us. Today, we have Kristen Lonigan. She is a badass warrior of breast cancer. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Thank you, Z. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited I got your last name right. There you, you go. Did. You, you did an amazing job. <laughs> Practice it 14 times. Yeah, I had teachers that didn't get it after four years. So, <laughs> Yes. yes. <laughs> you know, that's one of those Irish ones. Yes. I cannot wait to share your story with our community. So I'm going to start as I do for every show because I think it's so important for everyone to kind of get a little idea of who you are. So Kristen, tell us who you are. Like, where did you grow up? Where you come from? Um, All the way up to uh, just give us a little brief of who you are all the way up to the day before you found out you had breast cancer. All right. Well, it's a... There you go. (laughs) It's funny because I actually, since getting cancer, I do look back at my life a lot and I see the different different things I've accomplished, different things I've done. So at a young age, my aunt flew in the Navy. So does my uncle, her husband, but, um, she was on a training flight. Um, I think I was four and she calls my mom. It's my mom's youngest sister says, Hey, take the girls to the St. Paul airport. And, uh, I'm coming up on a training cross country training flight. So she flew in on a T2 Buckeye and my sister and me walk out and I just had my hands up like, oh my gosh, I want to touch this plane. <laughs> so um, we got to sit on the wing of it. And I remember telling my mom, I'm going to fly airplanes when I grow up. And she goes, hats me on the head, you know? Oh yeah, sure kid. That's awesome. And at 18, I left for flight school. <laughs> <laughs> so I am a person that when I want to do something, I do it. I Whether or not it takes me a long time. I was active, you know, in sports growing up, you know, I wasn't really anything special, but my dad always coached. Um, I did like softball and soccer and then, um, big into music. Once I, around 12, I started playing guitar and I think it's cause my dad sat my sister and I down and said, okay, which one of you want to play, play electric guitar? And I was like, I do. My sister's like, I want to play acoustic. And my dad's like, no daughter of mine is playing acoustic. And the only reason I think he said this was because he had an electric guitar. He didn't have yes. an acoustic guitar. So this is at like now looking back, I'm like, this is why he did this. So um, <laughs> that's when I started. And then, um, so I got really into music and like concerts and stuff through like uh, middle school, high school, all that stuff. And then at 18, oh, at 14, I did tell my, um, told myself I wanted to be a bodybuilder. We'll get back to that. Um, it just took me a while <laughs> to, so I went to college, um, I grew up in Minnesota, I guess I should say. Both my parents are from Massachusetts. So we spent a lot of time um, back east because all our family was there, both sides. And um, so I I always, I'm kind of like an enigma. I sometimes talk like a Minnesotan and sometimes they're like, (laughs) what accent is that? And now I've been down in the South for so long. I don't feel it's rubbed off on me, but I never know. I'm a I'm like, my mom's kind of this way too. She'll pick up accents or pick up like things. Um, so if I'm around a lot of Minnesotans talking. It I'll comes come out, out, right? Yes, it comes out. <laughs> if I'm around like some people from Mass, like when I go to like Pat's games and stuff, it'll come out. And uh, so it's just, it's just weird. So um, 
so I went to Daytona Beach for school at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, which sounds very, very impressive. It's not. But anyways, no, oh, no. Um, I loved my college experience. But while I was there, um, my degree is in aeronautical science, which is a fancy way of saying professional pilot. So I have all my flight licenses, um, commercial, multi, with instrument rating. They are not current, <laughs> but I how know. Many, when, how many women were in your program? Okay, you ready for this? The school, when I went, so I went to college, my freshman year was 1999. And um, the ratio guys to girls was 13 to 1. I grew Ooh. up with, um, like, there was three boys across the street, two boys across. They were like my, my um, uh-oh, this thing kind of, I think, does it matter? Sorry, my computer froze out. So, um, so sorry. <laughs> so I've always kind of grown up in that, um, I guess male dominated around and I just, it doesn't bother me. I don't let, I kind of speak my mind. So mm-hmm. I guess that's why, but yeah. So in the college it was 13, one guys to girls ratio. Wow. And yeah. And then nine 11 happened in my, God, had been my junior year. Um, and I was originally a minor in meteorology cause I like weather as weird as that is. I really do. Well, they kind of um, complement each other. Yeah. I'm like, I like and weather. Yeah, when you're flying, <laughs> to me, it was like so, so impressive. Cause like you go up, especially in Florida, cause they have those pop-up thunderstorms everywhere. And, um, you go up and you would see it like out in front of you. It could be like probably like five, six miles away, but you'd see just this round area of rain. And you're in like totally blue sky. It was just to me phenomenal. And I was like, weather's fascinating. So um, after 9-11 happened, the airline industries kind of changed. So I was like, oh, I'm going to have to flight instruct for a while. Am I going to be able to pay my student loans, you know, on like a flight instructor salary? I'm like, how many times have I canceled flights? Because, you know, I might have went out the night before. And so I college. So um and I lived in Daytona Beach. So let's just be real. And really the only ones that had to study study were my engineer friends and all of us pilots were kind of the bar goers. Um I did lift in college and but you know, once again, not a lot of I think women were really lifting. I was always probably one of the few you were, you were really like trailblazing not only yeah. in your career but also you know in your physical activity as well yes I just I just if I want something I do it <laughs> and um sometimes I procrastinate and it takes me a while but I do it um I think I work best under pressure which when I changed my minor from meteorology to air traffic um I had no problem with the radios and actually one of my instructors told me he goes normally I don't allow the students to talk on the radios like right away. Like I let them maybe on, you know, clear for takeoff and, you know, Roger, you know, whatever and do that. And they're like, but you have no problems with them. I was like, no, I keep it short and sweet. They don't want to hear my, my sob story. (laughs) (laughs) I go, they got more important things to do, like separating us. (laughs) So, um, so I really found that I, um, once I took a couple classes, I really found, I really like telling people what to do. I didn't know that. Isn't that just being a woman? <laughs> and I think, uh, and my, you know, I have a very type A personality, which is majority of controllers are type A personalities. So they are like, you know, always right, even when we're wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, it's just, you know, like how they train you. They're just like, you just have to say things with confidence, 
whether or not you're wrong, you'll fix it after, like, just get it out, you know? And, um, I just enjoyed it. So I, I got hired into the agency and the FAA, um, the federal aviation administration is who, um, has the air traffic controllers in the U S and air traffic controllers. I just need to say this. I do not hold the orange cones, nor do I have a jumpsuit. So I am not that person. <laughs> um, that is, um, those are for the airlines. Those that are was the, my visual. Yeah, when you told me I what know. you did, that was I, exactly where I, my brain went. <laughs> I know. I'm not, because uh, I'm like, sometimes I like to tell people, I'm like, yeah, I have a jumpsuit too. And they're like, really? I was like, no, those are the airliners. Um, they have um, a, a person who directs them into the um, the parking spot and to get the jetway and all that stuff. So um, that is not me. I actually... S- uh, work in en route. So when you take off from, let's say I can use LA for you. Uh, so you take off of LAX and you depart uh-huh. and you'll talk to a TRACON, which is the terminal en route, uh, terminal radar controller. And they, um, they kind of surround the airport, like maybe like a 40 mile ring around it. And they work up to maybe like 14,000 feet. Now I could be wrong on the airspace over there and I'm sure my controller friends will tell me. Um, so, um, but then you go to an en route controller and en route controller are, um, spread across the country. So there's Atlanta center, which is actually located 30 miles South of Atlanta in the lovely Hampton, Georgia. Um, I live in Atlanta cause I like things. So, <laughs> so, uh, there's really nothing. There's a racetrack down there. And I swore after college, I would never live near a racetrack again. Um, just because when races come in, everything shuts down and you can't go the normal routes to places. So anyways, sidebar there. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, um, so there's uh, centers throughout the country. So you're always, the pilot is always talking to someone, not just on takeoff and landing. So there's always a controller on there, even over, over um, the ocean, they have oceanic controllers and stuff like that when they're dealing with um, different facilities, um, and countries and stuff. So, um, I have gotten the experience cause I started, um, probably about seven years ago in my career, I became a national, they're called SMEs, a su- subject matter expert. Um, so I do a lot of testing up in New Jersey, which is where our, um, testing facility is. So any new software that comes in, they can't just put it in the, on to the workforce because, well, it has to work. Otherwise it shuts down the whole airspace system. So, um, you test it, it's just like a software update. So any new update, you have to go and have controllers call up and test it to make sure it's working appropriately, that nothing got broken in between the new updates. So anyway, so I was doing all that <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I kind of probably had a lot of fun in my twenties and, um, and then in my late twenties, I kind of messed up my back, um, at a wedding. So, <laughs> um, I, I have so many questions. About I, I, I was tossing a child around as well. Cause, um, their parents were like, Hey, can you watch him while we go say goodbye to everybody? And I was like, Oh, okay, sure. So I'm like, of course, you know what I, you know, don't know what to do. I have dogs. So kids love me. So, but I was like, what do I do? And so as soon as his parents, he starts crying. So I start kind of like, you know, lifting him up, like, you know, kind of above my head and down swinging him around, you know, and he liked it, you know, cause it was great when we were playing piano, but then he, you know, got bored of that. And so then I learned 
I just brought him over on the dance floor and was kind of doing that. Well, the next day <laughs> I couldn't move my back and I was like, is this a hangover? Like, um, well, no, then, welcome, welcome to parenthood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's how, par- that's how you wake up every yeah, literally, like their parents were like, "Oh no, he he looks small, but he's a bowling ball." And I'm like, "Oh my god!" So I went in. I had to see an orthopedic surgeon, and I don't remember exactly because it's that was 27, I think. I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is only 27." Um, so I had to go to physical therapy, massage therapy. I like massage therapy. Physical therapy, I didn't still do anything for me, like didn't help. So I was like, you know what I need to do? I need to get my core strengthened. So I'm like, I can do this. So I started getting back into more physical, active lifestyle and worked on my core strength with, uh, I think I did the, the beach bodies, you know, the insanities, the P90Xs and all those. And then I made a really bad decision and got into running. Um, I don't like running. But yet I, I did a couple I half marathons. Yeah, I did a couple <laughs> half marathons. I did a Tough Mudder. I did like Savage. I did all these races. I did a relay race from Atlanta to Birmingham, Alabama. Before I decided running is not for me. I think I was looking for that runner's high. There is none. They lie. <laughs> so, um, I got back into kickboxing, which I had done in college. Um, got one of my greatest concussions there, but whatever. Uh, so I got back into kickboxing and then I got into kind of the CrossFit, um, circuit and, um, and in Atlanta, it's there, it was huge here. So there, there were tons of boxes versus like some of the places, um, like where I grew up and stuff, they weren't as big, but, uh, here it was actually pretty big. So I was like, okay, I'll get into this. Well, I found my love of lifting again. Um, Mm -hmm. but CrossFit, I sucked at. I am just not good. Uh, I am great at lifting weights. I actually, it brought me into powerlifting and I was like, oh, I really want to get strong. I'm like, this is awesome. I worked my bench up to like a 300 pound squat and uh, not my bench, my, I worked up to a 300 pound squat. My bench sucks. I'm not going to talk about that. Uh, (laughs) But, um, so, and I was like, this is cool. And then, uh, Miranda, she had, um, I follow her on Instagram and, um, mm-hmm. I know, you know, about the street parking uh, yeah. thing, um, but this is before street parking. I think they were just starting it. Well, anyway, she had Dana Lynn Bailey on there on her Instagram. I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember this. this. Yeah. I know. I'm like, who is this chick? So mm-hmm. I start following her and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like their gym, um, out in Pennsylvania, Reading, Pennsylvania was, uh, right by like, it's within an hour drive of where I go in Jersey. So I would go up on the weekends and train there. It was just a great, like, I'm a huge, I love gym environments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I want to do bodybuilding. And then I, so here we are again, I circled back to 14, knowing what I wanted to do. <laughs> back my to four, bodybuilding. My 14 year old self knew more about me than, um, my, present day self, I should say. Uh, even one of my friends growing up, she goes, you know, you've done everything you said you wanted to do. And she's like, you even have a Wrangler. I remember when you said you wanted a Wrangler. I was like, yeah, I got one. It was my first new car I bought. <laughs> I think there's, I think there's really something to be said about that. Like, I feel like we actually know ourselves more growing up and we should listen to ourselves more yes. as a younger girl, because I think that there comes a time when the outside world influences those inner thoughts, those like raw inner thoughts that you just naturally organically have. And then we stop listening to those and we start listening to the outside world and what they want us to do and be and become. And so I think that that's really interesting insight because there are a lot of things like right out of high school, I went to massage therapy school. 
And that's all I want to do now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I everyone's like, oh my God, it's so amazing. You've done this organization. I'm like, I literally, all I want to do is massage people and be a mom. <laughs> like, I, I know actually like it's, it's a blessing that I get to do what I do, but um, you know, there's a piece of me where I'm like, I just want to massage somebody like, yeah, because <laughs> at the end of the day, I just have to think about, I have to go into this room and in an hour, my only job is to make this person feel better. I can do that. <laughs> I, can, exactly. I can do that. <laughs> and that's like, you know, um, I think that is very true, especially for women, because there's so much pressure put on women, what they should be, what they shouldn't be. And it's just like, now mm-hmm. I'm trying to hold back my, my language right now, but now like you just have to <laughs> like, just be yourself. And I used, I went against my gut. My gut is very good. Like, it's just very good. Like, it's always right on. I need to listen to my gut. And, it's, the most, um, it's the most honest thing we got going for ourselves. It really <laughs> it's is. Our gut. It's like, um, like, I remember being told, oh, maybe flying isn't for you. And I was like, uh, yeah, I'm going to fly. <laughs> so, and then I went and I got everything. So I'm like, there was just always being told like, oh, you know, you should be married. You should do this. And mm. I, I tried the marriage. It didn't, I didn't, didn't stick. But um my ex was a great guy. It just like, he had a different life. I feel pictured for us that I knew in my heart, I couldn't give him, And mm-hmm. I didn't know about that before everything. I was like, I'm not there. I'm too young. I, I, I got married at 24 and I was like, I was way too young to get married. We were both starting our careers. And so I'm like, he's a good guy. He's just, I don't know where he is. <laughs> he's in another country. He was from Denmark. So, um, but like at the point I just knew like, and my 14 year old self said, I never wanted to get married. I never wanted kids. Mm. And that's just me personally. And yeah, that was right. <laughs> so, and I think what happens for me when I, my, um, now the thoughts change, you know, with all that, but with marriage, I just, when we got married, it was suddenly, I was like kind of property and I didn't like that feeling. Yeah. And I remember when he, something I would do like the week prior when we were just like, you know, dating. And he's like, well, now you're my wife. And I go, how has that changed? Like Mm. what? So that to me was like my feelings. And I was 24 and I was way too young. Like definitely think I'm a, if I ever do it again, I have to be older. So I think, I think that marriage is such an interesting institution and I think it's evolving because I think women are evolving and as women evolve and as women become a part of workforce and are, um, kind of becoming more, uh, a part of society from a influence perspective, you're, I think that marriage has to evolve. And I think that there's probably some, 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 some marriages right now that are kind of changing the game and you can see it where women are the ones working and the man is staying at home. And, um, I think that we're going to start seeing kind of what marriage has been identified as is going to start changing and evolving. And I have a lot of trust and faith in the future generations to be bold about, you know, an institution that I don't think is working that I think is broken because you have what 52% um, divorce rate. So something's wrong with that. Exactly. That, and that's what know, I like- think. They're, they're, they're <laughs> expecting like the 1950s wife and that is not anything what the person I am. <laughs> I am like, I am literally probably the person standing up revolting against that, you know, if I was mm-hmm. around in the 50s. But so there are things like just from my, my mother's generation, like talking to her and then like, you know, I remember after when I went for to get 
um, you know, announcing that I was getting divorced, I told my father first because he, my, my mom were married. I don't know if she wants this out, but you know, it's common sense now, but they were married 31 years and then, you know, they separated. So, um, I felt like he couldn't judge me (laughs) (laughs) and he was, he just kind of told me, I remember him walking me down the aisle and he told me, he goes, if you want, we can just keep walking. You don't have to do this. (laughs) And I, you know, look at him now going, man, he knew me. more than I knew it. Just you saying that, it just kind of, it already, it showcases how much we all live our lives based on what other people are going to think of us. So by you saying like, I was scared that he was going to judge me and that's your dad. Yeah. Like, so if your your dad's going to judge you, Karen is definitely going to tell you something and Amy down the street definitely has an opinion about your marriage. You know what it's like? Yeah. And uh, my mom was just like, (laughs) I think my mom was more worried because she's like, oh, you need to be taken care of. I'm like, no, I, you know, I, I, got I don't, it. He never said, he never <laughs> said that, you know, but I think she was worried that I wasn't, you know, like, because that was the generation she grew up with. And I was like, no, I'm good. Like, you know, I have a, I have a great job. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I had to grow a lot. I had I to. Think there's two, I think there's two mindsets that come out of that generation, which is your mom, which is who, someone who's going to take care of you, which is one side. Right. Yep. And then the second side is the the other mom or the other mindset of make sure you can take care of yourself. Make yes. sure you have a job. Make sure that that um, you're not dependent on a man because that's that's what I what happened to me. So I think there's two different conversations that are happening for women um, from that generation, right? Exactly. And my mom, and my mom's conversation was, Miha, make sure you have a job and you can take care of yourself. Yeah, so, and that's like, and I think because I had when I when I did divorce, I you know I had just gotten hired. I was, you know, you're on probation for like a year. And like, so nothing was guaranteed. You had to still after that ends, you still have to check out and be able to do the job. So I'm like, it's always been, you know, but I'm also a very driven person. So like when I start something, I'm going to finish it. You're going to finish it. Yeah. So what happened? (laughs) where were you at? Like, what did your life look like? I know you have... uh, I mean, a tremendous amount of things going on. What, where were you at in your career um, the day before you were diagnosed with breast cancer? Okay. Well, I will, we'll jump back to two months prior. So I okay. had just stepped on, well, two months prior, I just, on June 8th, I turned 36 and Jesus, 28, uh, 2017. So I was like, I know this, hold on. 2017, <laughs> I had just turned 36. And like two days later, I stepped on stage on my first bodybuilding show. And I wasn't sure if I was going to like it. Um, the process, I love training. I love doing all that. But I didn't know if I could get on the stage, you know, in per, pretty much next to nothing. Um, and um, I, I competed in figure class. Um, and whether or not I would get stage fright, you don't know mm-hmm. until you walk out. And I loved it. Oh my gosh. Was, was the audience it. big? Was, was there yeah, a lot of people was, there? Uh, it was down, down in Miami, which was, I guess, also a national show as well. Um, so they had the IFBB pros in it as well. Um, so I think it was a uh, one of the ones that was a worked towards uh, getting Olympia credit or okay. points or something like that. So, because um, I do remember talking um, and bodybuilding, so 
I feel it helped me because I was not ashamed of my body because I had no modesty. Because when you go in butt naked into a tent and some woman is spray tanning you, <laughs> and then when you're done with that, you walk around the corner and stand in front of all these fans with a bunch of other women who just I got- have a serious question. Serious question. Yes. Go ahead. <laughs> do, they, do they spread your cheeks to make sure they get everything oh, I, don't, I don't remember them doing that but they get right up in your grill and i'm just like oh god i'm glad i'm waxed okay so <laughs> like but they do they get every little looking cranny and at the time i was dieted down but still me dieted down i was still a um 34d because I had to buy a suit that had um, underwires in it because like most most of the competitors either had nothing or they had implants. And right. um, so, Did you, so your 34, was your 34D implants or natural? No, I was, I was actually, I think my heaviest weight, I was probably a triple D. No, I was. I just didn't like to claim it. Um, I was always, my entire life growing up, I always was well endowed and I was a tomboy and I hated it because mm. I was like always trying to like, you know, just wear baggy shirts, you know, and just all this. And if I wore something that was like, um, kind of, uh, tight, I needed to have a, um, V-neck because I felt they were so big. But if I saw a V-neck, I was like, okay, they're not that big. It's not that big. It's it's fine. But for some reason, oh. like a, a t-shirt, I don't know. This is just Oh, then it, made, it felt like it bigger. Felt like they were like, huge. Yes. Mm, and so I was like I, like, I hated wearing white, you know, because like white made them look bigger. Mm -hmm. um, there was just button ups. Nope. <laughs> so... But I could see that. Yeah. So when I started getting, you're talking into, to a small-chested woman. So. <laughs> <laughs> but when I, well, actually, when I was dieting for bodybuilding, I remember how much weight I, you know, just like in my boobs. I never lost in my boobs. I always gained there, and I was like, why don't they lose there? Like every one of my friends lost in their boobs first. I was yeah. like, can I have that gene seriously? Um, so it wasn't until really I was dieted down and I remember bending over and they were just kind of like so depleted. And I was like, I never thought I would say I, I would consider implants. I guess if I continue this, I'm going to get them, you know, and that's all <laughs> I thought. So I step on stage. All's good. Um, I start uh, doing like a little bit of a kind of recycle diet. And then I was going to do another show in October of that year, but that one was going to be in Atlanta. So I wanted to go far away. So nobody could, that I knew was right there. Um, my family came and then like my mom and her two, two of her sisters went to it and, um, it was a great time. And then one of my friends, she came down and then, um, but then I was like, okay, I can do a Georgia show. That means a lot of like my work people will come and I'm like, all right, I'm confident enough. So in like, July 22nd, 2017, it was a Saturday and I'm a, getting ready to go to the gym. I think I was putting a sports bra on and I felt a mass and my mass it was in my left breast, right under my, uh, right where your sports bra would lie, you know, right under that little nook, which mm -hmm. normally they're more up, I guess. So it's, I guess if it's a clock, it's six o'clock. Um, so and I felt it and I just immediately dropped my hand like, okay, that was nothing. And I didn't want to touch it again. And I was like, no, that was nothing. That was, and then all of a sudden things start kind of dialing in. And December 24th of 2016, I went to the ER because I couldn't breathe. And 
so I just wanted to kind of put this little nut nugget out there. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, they diagnosed me, oh, you must have injured your chest wall. At that time, I was doing squats every day. I just hit, I think, 450 days of squats. And um, so I was like, well, I guess maybe I did something. And I do not believe in, you know, squats injure people. Um, they right. do if they can. Like, aren't, those, not- aren't those bad for your knees? <laughs> exactly. So I'm the first one. I'm like, no, actually, they've strengthened my knees. Yeah. It makes easier walking lunges. It helps the tendons. You'll actually help, you know, you know, restore your knees. Anyway, mm-hmm. so, um, but then I was like, oh, you know, I've been lifting kind of heavy and stuff. And I was like, maybe. I was like, I guess. So they gave me some kind of pills. I don't know what these pills were, but it wasn't for this. So we'll get to what that is in August. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, so... On July so that was a Saturday. That Monday, I had to go to uh, Jersey for work for two weeks, and I'm up there. Usually, it's eleven nights, I think. So it's basically I leave on a Monday and I return um, the Friday, a week, not a week from that. Fr- well, anyways, two weeks. I do two weeks up there, but I come back on a Friday. Um, so I'm like, when they get the SMEs to go up there. You're already like, you know, they can't just get someone last minute. So, you know, I'm like, you know, I've been doing this for years. So I was like, well, I got to go. You know, I'm like, I'll just call one. And I drive up there because I take both my boys um, with me. And um, and these are the dogs, everyone. These, these are, are the dogs, dogs. not yeah, her children. Dogs. Yes. Well, <laughs> one does talk back. So, you know. So, <laughs> um, but um, so I do. I travel. I travel with them and they come up with me. And so what kind of dogs are they? Because my dog would um, have a panic attack. <laughs> So I have a, my oldest, he's 11 and he's an Australian shepherd mixed with German shepherd and some kind of, I want to say probably a retriever. Um, just so he's smart. How, he's pretty yeah, smart. He's, oh, super smart, super protective, <laughs> very protective. So like if I'm at a gas station, let's say I'm walking in, if somebody's coming up behind me and he barks, I know to look around because there's somebody around me versus mm. my other dog, who's a lab he's got to be some kind of hound or something maybe visala i don't know but he's yellow so everyone's like oh he's a yellow lab but he does not he's tall and lanky but uh so he just cries bloody murder if i leave leave him in the car because obviously i forgot him so um <laughs> so but you know you, like kids you you know their sounds so um so i know when it's dino barking versus hooch just crying bloody murder that i left him in the car um <laughs> So they come with me. So they're both about 75 pounds. Um, and I, I'm like, and I remember telling my mom that Sunday, cause we always seem to talk on Sundays. Um, and, um, uh, she's like, wait, just have to call your doctor. I was like, I'm going to call when I'm on the road. So I call and I was like, Hey, you know, I found a mass. Oh, and a few months earlier, I remember my underarm being swollen, but when I was a kid, it happened. And I remember them telling me that, if you shave under your arms and put deodorant on too early, too soon, it can inflame the um, pores. Okay. So, like, I remember a long time ago, some doctor told me that. So I was like, oh, I just must need to take a little extra time to, before I put my deodorant on. And I uh, thought nothing of it, just wrote it off. But then suddenly when I had the mass, I touched under my arm again. I was like, ooh, that's not good. So I was that, like, that is definitely not deodorant scars. <laughs> <laughs> so I kept going. So on that Monday, um, I think that's the 25th, maybe what 22nd, 24th, I call my doctor's office. So this is July. And I was like, uh, yeah, so I found a mass in my breast. I'm just going to have to make an appointment to, you know, I guess get it checked. <laughs> so, so, and I'm 36, 
in excellent like health. And uh, so she's like, okay, can you come in tomorrow? And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I won't be back in Atlanta until um, August 4th. So can I just come in then? And so she's like, yeah. And like, they were kind of like, uh, okay. So I was like, all right. So, you know, we made appointments. So August 4th. So I did have to, um, make sure it was for the afternoon and I, I had never like taken leave up there. So I remember asking one of my buddies that, um, is a, uh, Houston, uh, controller. And I was like, Hey Dom, have you ever taken a, um, leave up in, uh, Jersey? Like how, who do I talk to? And he's just like, Oh, just talk to Jerry. And then all of a sudden he goes, what's wrong? And I was like, cause I, it's not my, I was like, well, I just have a doctor's appointment. I should make it back normally, um, by that time, but just to be safe, I might, um, you know, just take like sick leave the day before, you know, and just, you know, whatever, um, you know, take some leave to make sure I'm there on time. And he's like, okay, so what's going on? And so I had to tell him. And then of course I had to tell, uh, Jerry, who's kind of in charge of all of us up there. And, and then, um, I told one of my other friends and everyone kept telling me, oh, it's nothing. It's nothing mm-hmm. in my, in my head. I, I of course, I Googled everything because I'm a person that needs all the information. No, I did not go to the WebMD. However, I did have cancer, so they were correct. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> because everything's always cancer with them. But anyway, so I Googled. I was reading different um, medical journals. I mean, I read everything. So I have to prepare myself for the worst case scenario. And uh, so on the 4th, I go, you know, I go on a trip. That trip was a complete blur to me. I remember training out at that gym. I told you on that weekend, I remember talking to my coach and telling him, Oh, it's probably nothing. You know, everyone's telling me it's like maybe a cyst or it's like fatty tissue. And I was just thinking in my head, it's not, it's not that, but I'm trying to convince everybody I'm okay. Um, so, well, I think you're trying to convince yourself too. Exactly. And I, <laughs> and deep down in my heart, I was like, cause I remember growing up, and this is, sounds really true because I always, this, this is going to sound, some people will be like, wait, what? I always kind of felt if I was going to get a cancer, it would be breast cancer because my mom's oldest sister had it. Um, she, I was built like her cousin, her first cousin who died of it because she never saw treatment. And, um, and then I guess a couple of aunts of my thing. However, well, I have no genetic markers anyways. But I haven't. I just assume there's one that they haven't discovered yet. So, uh, so I get back on the fourth, and you know, I'm thinking I'm getting maybe a mammogram. No, it was literally an appointment for basically two women to touch my breast and tell me, "Yes, you do have a mass there." I'm like, really? And they did no screening that day? No. like they. So I had to go there and get my, they gave me two sheets of paper. One was for a mammogram place and one was for a breast surgeon. They're like, make this appointment first, which was mammogram and ultrasound, and then, then make the breast uh, um, surgeon's appointment because they're usually booked. So we just go ahead and book it. If you have to cancel it, you cancel it if it's nothing, you know, but just have it so you're not waiting to get in. And I was like, okay, so. Did they give you, so I know that you were 36 at the time. Did they, were they leery of that at all? Were they like, no, you're actually, too young or the, was it very the, like, no, get this the, checked out? One of the girls there, um, I don't know if she was a PA. Now I know a little bit more doctor term because I feel like I'm just. <laughs> because a, you're a student now of I cancer. I, exactly. <laughs> so I know everything that's supposed to be normal. But, um, so I think one was probably the PA. I didn't see my normal doctor. She was off that day. And I was told that ahead of time. So one was probably the doctor and one was probably the PA. Um, and, 
um, they just said, oh, I had just gone through this um, and it ended up being um, nothing. It was a cyst and all this. And so you're going to be fine. And I remember her telling me that. And I, I never seen this woman again. You know, I've only seen Dr. Enterkin after that. So, uh, but I just remember going, okay. Like, and it, she was right around my age. Um, and, you know, so I was like, okay, all right. You know, and, you know, they were looking at me like, you're in great shape, you know? So I'm like, I know I worked hard. You're in great wow. shape. Breast cancer can't happen to you if you're in exactly, great shape. Exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. So that's a myth. Okay. I busted it. All right. <laughs> oh, so um, I was, I called, this was Friday afternoon. I get on the phone right away to call the mammogram place. Well, the one that was closest to me couldn't get me in until I think the following Friday. So I called the other location, which was um, just probably 20 minutes from me. So I called them and they could get me in Monday. I'm like, uh, yes, let's do this. So I booked it on Monday, um, the 7th, August 7th. My, now, mind you, my mother's birthday is August 10th. So I'm, I've been ruining her birthday for years. So, <laughs> so, um, and so on August 7th, I go in and I get the, um, oh, and then my breast surgeon appointment, the earliest I could get in was, uh, August 17th, which I didn't know quite I didn't know anything. I was so green going into this now. And I'm like, wow, now I'm my, I'm very vocal. What is this for? Why do I have to do this? Mm -hmm. So, um, but so I went in there and it was a very nice place. I mean, I remember the whole, um, it was like a whole women's, um, center for the mammograms and screenings and everything. And I don't remember seeing one male in this. It could have just been the day I worked. I, I worked the day I was there, but there was not one male that I interacted with in this, this whole, um, I don't know, I don't know what they're called, like little spot in the hospital and the parking spots I remember were pink. And I was like, well, that's mm -hmm. weird. I'm like, well, at least I know I'm in the right area. So, and you know, it's all about like, you know, get your mammograms early, you know, so it was like really mm -hmm. big on that. So I went in and I, you know, um, did all the registration and I went by myself cause you know, I, I, just didn't think no no dogs in no, tote no, no dogs in tote <laughs> if well. we could take our dogs to these I appointments would have. We would. Oh my God, it would have been actually i kind of want to get hooch um certified that i can well whenever people are allowed back in to take them into like um nursing homes or like cancer uh centers mm -hmm. with children because he's such a such a good that kind of dog he's very um i don't know that kind of very dog loving. Yeah. not Dino, no, everybody's a threat in his eyes. Um, so, <laughs> so unless they're there to scratch them uh, or feed them. So, he, so I get there and I'm, I walk back in and every single they, you know, you have your own little dressing room and they had these really nice robes. And so it's just, you know, waist up, nothing on. And, you know, I think I just had a t-shirt on. I don't even think I had a sports bra on. Um, because I was like, I'm just gonna have to take it off anyways. So let's just, you know, why wear it? You know, it's just extra thing. Um, so, and I remember I just kind of tucked it into my, my big purse I had with me. And then I put, but you could have put it in a locker. So I think maybe I put, no, I don't think so. I think I carried it around. Um, but I had this nice robe and I remember looking around on the, on the wall and there was not one single person within 30 years of me, at least. And I was just like, oh my God, they all know something's wrong with me and I'm not supposed to be here. Mm. And um, that's just how I felt. And I'm like, and I'm sure none of them were judging me or anything like that, you know, but I, in my mind, I'm like, they know something's 
not right for me to be here. And what about uh, like, so going to your gut, where, what was your gut telling you in this oh, moment? Oh, that something's wrong and I probably have cancer, but, um, <laughs> I need proof. I'm a very, I need proof person. So, mm-hmm. um, I went into the, um, I get called back and lovely, lovely tech. She was super sweet. Um, very like calming and everything. Cause I didn't know what I was going into. So the first mammogram machine I went to, cause I had to go to two, I, it lit up in colors. It was very colorful. I'm like, I don't understand what everyone's complaining about this. This is very pretty. <laughs> so, um, and then she squeezed one of the boobs, the left one. And then she's like, okay, now I'm going to need your right one. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. The, the mass is in the left. Why are we looking at the right? <laughs> like immediately I was like, what's going on? And she goes, no, no, no. We need like a baseline. I was like, okay, that makes sense. And then mm-hmm. she puts the right one up there and she goes, huh? And I go, I'm hooked up to the machine. Can we not go, huh? <laughs> and so and she goes, well, you know, I just know the the one who reads this, whatever his title is, I apologize. But anyways, um, he's he's going to want more pictures of this microcalcifications. So right there, I'm like, remember that word, remember that word. So, mm-hmm. um, so she takes like so many images of the right one, but only a few of the left one, I thought. And I was like, that's really weird. There's mass in my left. Um, so, um, I get back, taken back to the same little wall. Um, and there was a TV and stuff. It's not like we were just lined up. (laughs) So, um, and, uh, and she's like, okay, someone's going to come and get you for your ultrasound. And then all of a sudden she appears back like 20 minutes later, I think maybe 15, I don't know. And she's like, actually, you know, I need a few more images of the left. And I'm thinking, well, of course you only took like a handful. And by the way, in that 20 minutes, I Googled what microcalcifications was. So <laughs> I was already content knowing that I probably have at worst stage one in my right breast. That's mm. all. That was where I was. So I was like, okay, if anything, it's maybe worst case scenario, stage one. Um, so that was in my mind, <laughs> which actually it was accurate. But um, so um, <laughs> then I get taken into this other mammogram machine, not pretty, not colorful, and it hurt. She jammed. She goes, I'm really sorry. This is going to hurt. She jammed the thing. And I just looked at her. I'm like, you have to do your job. So don't worry. I can take it. And I think my eye probably teared because I have a very high pain tolerance. So I'm like, that hurt. Um, so, and she's like, I know, I know it's just, just fewer, fewer minutes. And like, so like, you know, she took the images. Um, and I think they really needed to see like the, um, the, the tumor. So then I get taken back into the same hall again. And she's like, they're going to come get you for your ultrasound. I went into ultrasound. Now that room was very pleasant. There was nice music. It was like, had like nice lighting. It had a nice bed. And I remember looking up at the machine and all I wanted to do, cause I am so sarcastic. I just wanted to say, so is it a girl or a boy? So, <laughs> because I'm like, that's the only thing I know about ultrasounds is pregnant people get them. Pregnant so, people. <laughs> exactly. So I'm like, uh, so I'm looking at this. I have no idea what I'm looking at. I'm seeing blue. I'm seeing red. I'm seeing weird little waves. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on over there. So she was nice. So pleasant. And so she was on the mass and then she did the underarm as well. So then I'm told I can get dressed, but come back and sit in this bed line of wall again. Meanwhile, all the women that had been there have been gone and swapped out. And then I'm taking into the little room. And I remember one of my friends at work, they're like, oh, the cancer room. And I was like, what? (laughs) Because I still hadn't really told, like they hadn't 
officially told me because they couldn't because they have to do the biopsy. So they're like, okay, so you're going to know more than what your doctor knows as of right now. So um, the looks on both uh, the right and the left need to be biopsied. And we're going to be, you know, sending the recommendation over that. So there is the suspicion of malignancy. And me, I never heard malignancy. So I really didn't know at the time that I wanted benign. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. like, um, so of course, I think that was a Monday night when I finished. And then Tuesday, I was supposed to hear from my doctors, but I was Sunday, Monday. So I had gone, I would have started back on my night shift. And so I went to work as normal. I hadn't heard from them. Then Wednesday, I think, I think Tuesday afternoon, one of the ladies in the ladies lounge at work, she was like, you need to call and just make sure that they got the paperwork so they can call and tell you what's going on. And I'm like, oh, okay, you're probably right. So I left a message and they call me back. Yes, I put it on her desk, but um, Dr. Enderkin's been in clinicals. No idea what that means. Still don't know. But anyways, I was like, okay. She's like, it's on the top of her thing. She's going to get it and she'll call you in the morning. And I was like, oh, okay. Thinking really still kind of like in that hole It's probably something, but there's nothing I can do about it. It's there. So, mm-hmm. um, I was on my spin bike, of course, um, Wednesday morning doing cardio. Cause you know, I, you know, things keep going. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I got a phone call and I was like, Oh, this looks like, um, the numbers that are consistent with my, um, OBGYN's office. So I was like, I pick up and it's Dr. Antikin and she goes, I'm so sorry. I did not get to this yesterday because I wasn't in the office. I was like, that's fine. And she goes, okay, there is suspicion of malignancy. So when is your breast surgeon's appointment? And I was like, I'm, well, I'm seeing Dr. Rashid on um, August 17th. She's like, okay, so she's gonna, um, I'm like, is this like an intro to her? Or I'm like, or is she actually going to do the biopsy that day? And they're like, everybody does it differently. And I was like, and all I'm thinking is like, wasn't time of the essence right now? Like, that's all I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. And so this was, let's see, it was on the 8th, 9th. So this was Wednesday, the 9th. And my mother's birthday is on Thursday. And I remember I called her and telling her was hard. Cause I was like, crap. And I, started with, I know this is not what you want to hear the day before your birthday. Um, but it is suspect that it's malignant, which is not a good thing. I want benign apparently. So, so, um, <laughs> Google yes. told me that I Google need the word benign. I, I need benign. And little <laughs> did I know that she actually had, um, a tumor removed years prior in, um, cause she has that, um, the tissue that, um, gets, lumps and stuff like that. And she's like, mine was benign. So I've had a benign tumor removed before. So, she, mm. so she was like, she kind of already like knew, but she was like, that was just her. Me, I never had lumpy boobs at all. So I'm like anything out of the ordinary. I was like, yeah, something's not right. Um, what I didn't know. And I learned when I got there on the 17th, Dr. Rashid, she is amazing. She's my, my surgeon. I love her. She's kind of like my pillar to go through all my doctors. And this woman even called me on like a Sunday after my, um, diagnosis. Oh, kind of like after she had told me I had cancer and then I met with the oncologist and to see how I was doing, if I was okay. And, um, and even at the mammogram place, I remember them giving me information for like a social worker. I'm like, why am I getting a social worker? What's wrong? Like, like, and I still, it still didn't register then. And it should have, uh, looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, I knew that. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you don't know. So on the 17th, I get to her office and this time I took my aunt with me. Cause I remember when I told my mom, um, I should have called out of work that day. Instead, I went to work. That was, I was Normally when I plug into work traffic, all of your outside world shuts off and you just work. 
And I had the hardest time when I plugged in to like not be in the back of my mind, like what's going on. And like, so um, what do I have to do? Like, how do I get through this? You know, I'm like, we don't even know what it is yet, but live and learn. So the following week, I actually had leave scheduled. So I just kept it instead of going where I was supposed to go. I stayed um, home and then I got the appointments that I needed to get. So um, when I went to Dr. Rashid, um, fill out a bunch of paperwork. My mom had told me, she's like, why don't we tell Judy, which is um, her sister-in-law, my aunt and her brother, they live in North Georgia. So she's like, why don't we tell Judy and Judy go with you to this appointment? Because, um, you know, you just need probably somebody else there. Um, she's like, what if they are doing a biopsy that day? Or like, you know, she's like, you should just have somebody with you. And I was like, Okay. She's like, do you want me to fly down? I was like, no, no, no. It's going to cost too much. No, just, just, no, you, you're working. You know, I'm like, just, I, I got this. So we brought Judy into it. And I actually told her, I was like, do you think you can call her? I don't know if I can have this conversation again. So my aunt Judy has been amazing. Um, and I, she, she, I tell her just like my mom knows everything. She knows everything. So, and nothing's really off limits. Um, even with me because I was looking for that when I was diagnosed. So I go to Dr. Sheeds and she's like, okay, so this mask, she goes, I could do the needle um, uh, biopsy right here in the hospital, like right here in my office. Um, She's attached to the hospital. She's like, however, the right one, that one needs to be a mammogram driven biopsy. So um, I was like not knowing any of anything about this. Mm -hmm. So I was like, she's like, hold on, let me give a call. So she worked it out that the hospital got me in that afternoon. So Judy and I just went and had lunch. And then um, she was making costumes for um, her her granddaughters, um, who are amazing. And they've been amazing through all this with me. My cousin also lives here. Uh, one of my cousins, I have many cousins. Um, so but, uh, so we went into Joanne's, we're just kind of like, you know, tooling around killing time. So I had to go to the hospital and be like, you know, all that stuff. So went in, got into the biopsy. She came in, they numbed the area. They took a bunch of, got some really good samples of the tumor and got some really good samples of the lymph nodes on, uh, the left side. I don't think they did anything on my right lymph nodes at that time. No, that was with my mastectomy. Okay. So on the left, um, and then on the mammogram driven one, this woman, I wish I could see her again. Her daughter was having surgery that day and she was supposed to go home early and she stayed to give me this because um, she had to work the, the machine while Dr. Rashid came in and, you know, did the biopsy and stuff like that. So I, this woman was just amazing in my eyes and, um, and her daughter, I think had shoulder surgery or something. I can't quite remember, but I just remember thinking back going, I wish I could see her again and thank her. Mm. Um, so walking into that, that's the weirdest biopsy ever. You see a table and I love this one because she goes, you see the table up there? And I was like, yeah, she goes, you see the hole? I was like, why do I see, feel like my boobs going through that? She goes, because a man made this. <laughs> and I was just cracking up. I was like, okay, all right. So I get up on there and um, what they do, it's very similar. So you're, you're dropped in. And so it was only my right side. So you're dropped in there and then they, you know, move those little 
things very similar to the mammogram, those clear boxes. And so she finds the images and then she like marks up on my, my boob on where, when Dr. Rashid comes in and just does the, um, kind of, it's like a biopsy almost in the blind kind of like, so, um, they got good samples of that. So, um, on that was the 17th so on july july august 22nd again 20 seconds are not good for me um (laughs) i was in her office and she um told me that i had breast cancer what they didn't know yet was the pathologies of them so um she just said both right and left breast with, um, she was still waiting on the results for the lymph nodes, but she'd be calling me. And then she got me, you know, she steps out of the room, my aunt's with me because it was funny because we were driving back and my aunt's like, do you need me to take you next Tuesday? I go, uh, you know, and I don't like inconveniencing people at all. And I'm like, I hate asking for help. I'm working on it, working on it. So I'm like, uh, I'm like, no, I should be okay. I, well, I guess unless they tell me I have cancer, cause that might not be cool. And then my aunt's like, I will be there. Don't worry. And I was like, okay. And I hated making her drive because, you know, Atlanta traffic in the morning and like she lives um, about 45 minutes to an hour north of me and then add traffic on top of that. Oh God. She's a lifesaver. <laughs> so <laughs> so she, she comes to my house and then she takes me to the appointment. And so she, uh, Dr. Rashid tells me I have breast cancer. She's like, I'm going to give you guys a few moments. And, you know, I kind of tear up a little bit and my aunt looks at me, she goes, you haven't cried enough. And I was like, I need to know what's going on next. I need to know how to get through this. Like what? Cause that's, that's how I work. I'm like, okay, how do I get through it? So the first thing she came back in, she's like, do you have any questions for me? I'm like, are you going to cut my peck? literally the first thing I say, I'm like, and my aunt just looks at me like, seriously. And I'm like, cause I don't really like working chest and I've worked really hard for what I have. So, so and she's just like, no, I'm going to try to do everything I possibly can to not cut into your peck. Um, she did cut my peck a little. I'm just letting everybody know. And she scraped it. And, but that's my mastectomy. So she says, okay, the oncologist's office is going to be in, um, get in a hold of you to schedule it. So on Thursday, my lymph node results came back and I'm driving home and I answer my phone on the, um, the car Bluetooth. And I was like, and I see it was her. So I was like, let me just pull over. Um, just because I need to focus and my focus is not good. So I was driving home from work. And so I pulled over and she's like, okay, your lymph nodes came back. They are malignant. Um, so have, do you have the appointment with the oncologist? And I was like, no, I haven't heard anything. She goes, okay, hold on. She like puts me on hold, comes back and says, you're going to be getting a call. You're going in tomorrow to Dr. Simpson and, um, they're going to give you the exact time, um, when they call you here in just a minute, if you need anything, you call me. And I said, okay. And then sure enough, like within like a couple (laughs) minutes, I got Dr. Simpson's, um, office called me and said, Hey, um, your appointments at, I don't remember what time. So I tell my aunt, she's like, I'm coming. And I was like, okay. And this time I had a lot of list of questions, you know, different things, what was going to happen. Um, because uh, air traffic controllers have to have a flight medical, just like pilots. Um, uh, my union knew and like like work kind of knew, but we hadn't officially told the flight surgeon yet. So um, because I haven't had an official diagnosis yet. Um, so remember when I said in December I went in for some weird chest pains? Mm-hmm. So they started appearing again. And I kind of mentioned it to my aunt. She goes, I doubt that it's related. I go... I never go to the ER and I literally went 
this past December. So I'm just going to mention it to him. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's not related. Maybe I just have some weird chest pains. Um, maybe I'm allergic to something that I didn't, that I have been taking. Like I discovered my almond allergy that way. <laughs> so, um, but I, well, so I, you know, he's telling me, he goes, so you're, the first thing he says to me, you're like lightning striking the same person twice. Not unheard of, not the norm. He goes, it's very common for women to have like, you know, one breast cancer, get through it and then get diagnosed years later with another breast cancer. He goes, you literally have two different breast cancers in you. Um, they were still waiting the whole like pathology for staging and stuff. So I didn't get that right at the time. Um, but so he was just, but he knew the markers. So I was on my right. So I always refer it to my right cancer and my left cancer. So my right cancer was ER, PR positive, HER2 negative. My left cancer was ER, PR uh, negative, but her two positive. So at course at the time I had no idea what that meant. And, uh, the right was grade two and the left was, uh, grade two border three, which this will change when I had my mastectomy. Um, so he goes, what we need to do because, um, he goes, how I treat her too is we immediately do chemo to, um, uh, immediately shrink the tumor. And I was like, okay. Um, he goes, we want to stop it in its track before it keeps spreading because her too is very aggressive on spreading. And I said, okay. So he kind of walks me through on like what, you know, the procedure, how he wants to do things. He goes, we'll get you in, you know, for an MRI. And then I mentioned, um, at this appointment, this chest pain that I'm having and the breathing and I'm like, it's come back. And, and, um, so he's like, okay, I didn't have the MRI. I got the CT done because, I had a blood clot <laughs> in the vein going into my liver, which now I know cancer and blood Ooh. clots are very, um, they go hand in hand. Yeah. And, yeah. um, so, um, I was like, so he just uh, immediately just listening to my symptoms was like, we need to get a full CT on you and see what's going on. And I said, okay, so I come back on, uh, mm. September 6th was my, um, this was my week from hell. <laughs> so September 6th was my CT, which is when we um, got the official diagnosis was when we told the flight surgeon last day I talked to aircraft on the frequency was September 5th. It's so sad. It was a great day though. It was weather cold and running out. It was like, it was like you know, fantastic. Um, it sounds so weird because like it's no normally a dreaded day, but to me, I was like, well, this is, you know, very good distraction. Um, September 6th, I had my scan. September 7th, I was going in for surgery for my port, which I still didn't understand a port. I mean, it took, me, it took me literally like a year to really understand the whole port thing. Uh, but I just know that, um, my veins thank me. So, um, especially since I can only be drawn on my right side, but, um, and then on September 8th, I was going to start, um, my chemo drugs. My chemo drugs was Progetta, which is the main chemo drug for HER2, Herceptin, which is a HER2 targeted drug, and then Carboplatin and Taxotere. Taxotere is what causes everything horrible with chemo. Um, the hair loss, my nails turned like black. Um, and like, 
I, I thought I was going to lose a couple nails. Nobody tells you about this stuff, but anyways, and just gross things happen. Um, so I blame everything on Texateer. Now, carbon platen could have been that too, but I blame everything on Texateer. Um, <laughs> so September 8th, I had my first infusion. My mom's like, do you want me to come down? And my thoughts was, I have to get through this so I know I can be strong enough for her to see me like this. And I was like, no, um, Judy says she'll take me. Um, you know, let's let, let me just get through one. So the first one was like 12 and a half hours long because they do the procedure, um, the allergic like possibility of an allergic Yeah, the Benadryl drip yeah, or yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So I, all three, I always had the Benadryl, the, um, uh, for those for those of you that don't know how yeah, chemo yeah. works, yeah, you get, uh, so <laughs> they put a bunch of stuff in your body before they put exactly, the chemo in your body. Heavy. And I, I like to call this my hard chemo, like you know, hard drugs or whatever. But because there was multiple drugs, I had to have my Benadryl, I had to have my anti nausea, and I had to have my. Um, you have your drugs to handle your drugs. Exactly. So it's like 20 minute infusions before you begin your first infusion. So, um, and then they do the infusion rate is done on the, um, like what I think my progetta was like a 90 minute infusion. And then the next time would be a 30 minute infusion. Um, which yeah. Um, so I go through, it's 12 and a half hours. I had, you know, I had my tablet, my aunt's like, oh, I got books. So we were like, you know, good. I'm like watching movie. I'm like coloring. Everybody gives you coloring books and I like mm-hmm. them. And my doctor's like, you need to do Sudoku. And I was like, what? And he goes, for some reason, breast cancer, um, the drugs, um, affect numbers. I go, you mean what I do for a living? <laughs> so I went, uh, <laughs> out. So, yeah. So I was like, but I'm like, I actually do enjoy Sudoku. So I did my, I have my Sudoku puzzles and I didn't know anything. Like when everyone talks about, um, pregnancy brain, I can now understand what that means. Cause I have mm. chemo brain permanently. Um, and then, so I went through that. The first infusion was fine. My reactions to it, I felt were a little extreme, but I was doing chemo and uh, everything you see on the movies. Oh, the only thing that was surprising to me, it wasn't orange. For some reason, I thought chemo drugs was orange, like radioactive <laughs> going into your body. I don't know if this was movies or what, but that's, so when it came out clear, I'm like, well, that's weird. Not what I expected. And um, since I had surgery on the seventh. You're like, week, is this a light dose of the chemo? <laughs> yes, exactly. I was like, is this chemo right? chemo God? <laughs> exactly. So I was like, that's kind of cool. So, and when I had surgery on the seventh, um, they had my port accessed. So this is why I didn't understand the port because I had this big, bandage on my uh left chest and I was just like and I could feel it you know obviously I was sore from surgery and all that stuff but um I was like is this just what my chest is gonna look like through the next four months and uh but no it was accessed because they were like we don't want them really going in and doing this the day after surgery so we're just left it accessed and then they'll just deaccess it. I'm sure they had a better word than that, but unaccessed, I don't know. Um, and it's only been three years. Um, so, so I go in, that one was fine. I remember I broke out a lot. I, I felt like, um, a teenager again with my acne. I remember, um, uh, I was sick. The, I had it on Fridays and then, um, the weekend after was always kind of shot. Oh, and then oh, my poor neighbors, I love them to death. Um, they give you that Nulesta shot. Well, you had to mm-hmm. make sure. So it starts up like I think 24 hours after chemo, it like releases the white um, blood cell booster. And 
but you can't take it off and it's on the back of your arm and you can't take it off till it's fully empty. So I was like, so it started like Saturday night when it like started releasing and I was like, and it it like, they said 30 minutes it takes. So I was like in the bathroom trying to look in the mirror at something I have no idea what it's supposed to look like um, to see because it's on the back of your arm. I'm like, I don't know if that. So I text my neighbors and uh, and I'm like, hey, are you guys like home? And this is like like Saturday night at like 1030. I'm like, I'm like, I didn't see their car. I'm like, they might be out, but maybe I'll catch them when they come back. I was like, hey, are you guys um, around? They're like, hey, we're actually just pulling back in. What's up? And I was like, uh, I need to ask you a favor. Can I just come over real quick? It'll be easier. And she's like, ah, like both of them, they're like, yeah, yeah, come on over. So, um, they're, they're amazing. Um, and so they, they're like, what's wrong? And I go, okay, so I got diagnosed with breast cancer. So, <laughs> and they're just like, oh my God. And I was like, no, 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 no. And I just had chemo yesterday, but they put this thing on me and I need to know that it's empty before I can take it off. And so they're like, okay. And then like Trina, she's like my aunt, you know, has had breast cancer. So she's like, I'm very well aware of like, you know, whatever you need, we are here for you. So, um, and I just remember, so we chatted for a little bit and then I was like, I'm really feeling kind of rocked and need to go to sleep. And, uh, cause I get a feeling of like the flu, which you don't want to say these days, but, um, <laughs> because even when people ask me about COVID, I'm like, well, yeah, I just had chemo and they're just looking at me. I'm like, oh, okay, never mind. Um, so I just try not to mention flu-like symptoms. Um, so I, uh, um, so I went back to, and then I was able to pull it off and stuff. So, um, I still did it. I think two more trips to Jersey after this time. And I remember my aunt was like, no, you need to not do that. And then my mom was like, I really don't think you should. And I was like, I can't just like, you know, stop. I want to see them. I'm like, you know, what if I, you know, don't get to, I want to, you know, I need to say goodbye and stuff and like, you know, whatever. So I did end up doing two more trips up there. And, um, the first one was right, like, I think a week after chemo, I went up there. And I remember the day I was leaving in uh, Jerry's uh, little cubicle. And I was like, my hair, it just keeps falling out. He goes, stop touching it. And I was just like, and uh, um, Josephine's mother, she has, um, she's since passed, but she had um, stage four pancreatic cancer and she had been battling it for years. And so she's like, you know, my 81 year old mother, she's, you know, she's like, you can do this. You're going to be fine. So the original stages we'll say, whereas my right cancer was stage one and my left cancer was stage two B. And this changes through chemo. So the next chemo appointment was September 29th. Yeah, it was every three weeks, September 29th. And my mom said, I'm coming. And I was like, I'm not fighting you. So uh, she came down for it. And um, by this time, I had had one of my friends that I came into the academy with, uh, he was a barber in uh, college and stuff like that. So I was like, hey, I'm really losing my hair. And I sent him a picture and he goes, put the brush down. Cause I made the mistake of washing my hair and I had long blonde hair. Um, and it just ratted up like a little rat's nest. And <laughs> so he's like, put the brush down. I can come on this day. So he came up and he gave me like a shortcut before having to shave it. Like, a, I think a month later. Um, and cause I still had, I had like a little, I like to call it a little frohawk, um, which I did end up getting a mohawk cut after I got hair back, so, which was my dream when I was 14. I wanted a mohawk. And guess what? I got one. 
um, mother never, didn't want me to have it. She said, no, you can't, you can't have that. And I was like, okay. Um, when I was 36, guess what? I had a Mohawk, uh, 37 technically, <laughs> but anyways, so she, of course the chemo, she goes to, and I was trying to tell her, I was like, look, we just got to bring stuff. Like I had a little roller bag I bring out and I'm like, it's very boring. I'm like, uh, you know, it's a long time. It's going to be a little shorter than last time. And I was like trying to like say, I'm like, you're just going to see drugs. You know, I, I'll have to unplug and I can go to the bathroom with my little like IV cart and stuff. And I'm like, everyone's very friendly. And so I'm, you know, trying to prepare for this, you know, so, cause you know, I'm the youngest. So, so I'm like, um, so she, I should also say I was really sick always as a kid with allergies and asthma too. So I was always hospitalized. Um, so, so she, she comes and, you know, I get the, 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 you know, the three drugs prior Benadryl, the, um, steroid, the anti-nausea, and then they, the two nurses come out, you know, and the one that has the, the, the chart, checking my wristband, you know. Now, whenever anyone asks my name, I give them my date of birth, whether or not it's like I'm ordering food. So, um, <laughs> so um, they, you know, ask me all this, and then they're like, okay, so the drug they happened to choose first was Progetta. And I will say this was a blessing, and <laughs> sounds awful. Um, about eight to nine minutes into my infusion. And I remember there was a older gentleman, he was going up and down constantly to and from the bathroom. And my mom's like, um, and he was, he was a lot older than me. And, you know, in there she's looking and everybody is like at least 30 years older than me. Um, and she just kind of was like, this guy's not doing well. I go, mom, like all of these are fluids. I'm like, so they're just pumping your body in fluids. So guess what? As soon as they start my chemo, I usually once, you know, it starts, that's when I'll unplug and I'll go use the restroom and stuff. But I usually wait until, you know, I've only gone one time, but for some reason I felt like I was a pro after 12 hours. Um, so, uh, but eight, nine minutes into the infusion, I kind of stand up and I'm like, and she's like, Chris, are you okay? And I'm like, you know, I'm not feeling well. I'm not, I'm not feeling right. I think is what I told her. I don't feel right. Something's, something's not right. And she's like, do you want me to call someone? She's like, do you want your water? And I was like, no, no. Um, so I'm just standing cause I'm very uncomfortable. Like something's going on. And, um, within a couple like seconds, it felt like an eternity. My whole throat closed. I felt like I had waved my arm before the throat closed, I think, because we're, you know, they're in the little fishbowl. So I wave like my arm. And um, at that point, I, I think I collapsed because I woke up and I was in the chair. And I remember um, one of the nurses, Selena, who saved my life. Um, and she's, she's no longer there anymore. But um, I learned in oncology, a lot of times they don't, they have to keep swapping out. Um, and so she leans over me and says, I'm so sorry. And I was like, I was out of it. I was like, what is going on? And I remember looking at everybody. I'm like, I can't breathe. Why is everyone moving so slow? But time kind of stops when you can't breathe. And she stabs me in the leg. And I remember looking down and I had one of my favorite pair of like traveling Lululemon, like studio pants going, man, I really like these pants. That's (laughs) what went through my head. Like, not that I can't breathe or what's going on. And then next thing I know, so I must be in and out of it. I had oxygen. I had um, a blood pressure cuff on me. I had the finger thing on me. I had 12 people like in front of me. And I was like, my doctor's there. They're screaming off numbers. And I'm just like going. And then my mom's just sitting there, like completely backed out of the way. And I was just like, 
oh, dear God, this is her first one. Um, and I'm like, so I'm kind of like now the adrenaline starts coming. They, I remember they squirted something into my IV. I don't know what that was. Um, and then I start hearing, I'm kind of coming to, and I keep hearing the ambulance. Yes, it's been called. Yes, they're downstairs. I see them now. They're coming now. And I'm going, oh, who's leaving in an ambulance? And <laughs> so, un- so unaware. So unaware. And, so I, unaware. and I was just like, you know, because my mom had never driven in Atlanta and Atlanta is a very interesting place <laughs> to drive. Um, so, and um, I remember they're going, yeah, yeah, they're I, they're unloading the um, the gurney now, and I'm going, who's leaving in a gurney? And it's just like going, what's and so now everything's rushing, everything's rushing back to what just happened to me, and like so my my blood pressure, I run between 95 and 105. So, um, I guess normally I think it crashes, but because mine, um, it ran flow, I, I, mine shot up and then it dropped down to the 80, 80s, I guess, range. Cause I asked for the numbers the next week. Cause I love that kind of stuff. Um, so, um, and they were just like, well, yeah, they're like, no, 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 it's regulating now. It's regulating. Cause I can remember hearing just these words, just going, what's, what's that. And then I see the gurney and I like, I think that's when everybody realized that I was not wanting to get on that thing. And, um, I was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'll drive. <laughs> so they're like, they're like, no, you have to be taken to the hospital because of the EpiPen. And I was like, uh, what? No, I'm good. I, I no, I, do, I don't want to. And I was, that's when I started like freaking out. Cause I was like, I don't want to get in this. Um, like, like mom, how is she going to get there? Like, you know, the hospital is literally like five minutes from my infusion center. But anyways, um, I grabbed my purse just I guess out of like, I figured I was going to need my thing. My mom's like, yeah, you grabbed your cell phone. I was like, well, I needed to text people to tell them, Hey, I just left mom in infusion. I just like died. And you know, she's probably shell shocked. Um, so, so, <laughs> so, um, I, um, I look at Selena and I was, I go, will you input the hospital address in my mother's cell phone, like in the maps? And she's, and I know I'm talking like my mother, doesn't know anything. And I remember when my mom got over to the ER, I'm like, I didn't mean it that you didn't know how to do it. I just knew you just watched me collapse and like basically die. And I'm like, so I just knew that technology is not your friend. When you get really Mm -hmm. rushed and frustrated, I'm like, I didn't want that. I just wanted you to be able to plug it in and go. Um, So she didn't, she had no problems getting there. She parked. And then it was just a matter of trying to get to me in the ER. Um, And you can't, you go in an ambulance, you get right in. Apparently, maybe it's for <laughs> anaphylactics. So, um, good system I'm, they've got exactly, there. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, um, but now the CT scan. I should have mentioned this first. So, on after surgery, I get a phone call from the hospital saying, "Okay, you have to um, begin this medication tonight." Um, it's a, a needle you inject it every twelve hours into your lower abdomen and. I don't, they might've explained what this was to me, but I was, you know, still high off of anesthesia and I'm like, I can't go anywhere. My aunt just like left and, you know, she has, you know, I can't drive. You guys just performed surgery. And she goes, Oh no, no, somebody's going to be bringing this to your house. And I was like, what? And then sure enough, a white van showed up with a box of needles and just dropped it off. And I signed for it. And I was like, what is going on cancer world? So I, um, that was the blood clots. And that's when he explained it on my first infusion. I kind of 
missed the boat on that one. But yeah, so I had to do the injections 12, every 12 hours for, um, I think it was about 45 days. And then my whole abdomen was like black and blue. And, um, that's when we switched to a, a pill because I was like, look, doc, this is, this yeah. hurts. My I body can't, can't do this yeah, anymore. I'm like, and he goes, Oh, I think it's, it's fine. We've, you know, that goes straight into your bloodstream. Now we, you, we've been on it for so long. He goes, we should be able to transition you to a blood thinner pill. And I said, perfect. So, um, anyway, so fast forward, I'm at the ER and, uh, mom comes in. Of course I didn't have, Oh, I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So I have a peanut allergy, but it only gives me migraines. Um, if I eat too much. So I'm like, Hey, did you bring the lunchbox in? She goes, yeah. I'm like, I'm starving. And I didn't have my water. They took away my IV of fluids. And I was just like, I need fluids. I'm thirsty. I'm like, so water intake is very critical with people with blood clots. Um, and which is surprised him why he goes, bodybuilders drink a lot of water. I go, yeah, but when this whole diagnosis happened, my whole world stopped, which so did my gallon a day of water. So, um, and everything was just like spinning out of control. So I was like, um, and I think that in a one way is good because it did alert them that this was in my body that I didn't know about. Um, so I mean, what, what number, what number chemo treatment was this? Oh, number two. This- it was number two. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was the first one that they were going to go at the normal, um, infusion rate. So obviously, uh, that got changed. <laughs> so, cause they, I remember the, the nurses saying she had the bag of steroids. She went straight through the steroids, straight through the Benadryl, straight through everything. Like it just like, what is this? And I should have probably made this noticeable that Back in the 80s, I don't think they really called it anaphylactic. Um, but I know I used to go be hospitalized and wake up in like an oxygen tent because I was like deathly allergic to medications as a child, some antibiotics. Um, I am a doctor's dream when they need to prescribe antibiotics. They're like, oh, my. I'm like, yeah, you got to just give me the Z pack. All right, let's just be real. Okay. This is just how it is. So, um, uh, so I'm in the the ambulance and uh we're driving in the the they were the fire um department because you know they can respond to them so um she was asking me she goes why were you nauseous i go and i'm thinking i don't i don't maybe i was nauseous i don't really remember the incidents i was kind of passed out like um perhaps and she's like cuz what they looked at is what drugs they had given me and so they had given me the steroid why would they give you a steroid why were they giving you nausea and i and i just and then it dawned on me like on the way cuz you know i'm out of it like totally like in and out like and i just looked i go i'm having chemo and i go if you've never had a a chemo patient before this is normal practice for the amount of drugs they're going to give me. They're just preventatives. The anti-nausea helps the first like 48 hours, um, to, you know, help my nausea. The steroid is just, um, to, well, hopefully not have this happen. Um, and then also the Benadryl, the same thing, you know, to counteract any allergic reaction and stuff. So she's just like, Oh, okay. So I think, and it took us almost to the ER before, like we were on the same page because she was trying to figure out why they had given me all this medication after I went into anaphylactic. I go, no, no, that happened before. (laughs) So I I roll into the the ER and 
you know, they have to go to the pharmacy to see how long they have to monitor me. But because they don't know the amount of medication I have, and they don't know the amount, like what chemo drugs really do. And they're like, well, how long do you have side effects? I go, well, like three weeks until pretty much I go back for treatment. And they're like, so I was sitting there going, I'm like, they have no idea what to do right now. They're like, well, how long do they have? They they want to know how long to monitor me to make sure I'm past the crisis point um, that, you know, that drug is out of my system. But I'm like, I don't know how long it's in my system. I'm like, this is literally week two. Okay. Treatment two. I had six treatments. So my doctor finally, um, my infusion center is, um, an outpatient facility of one of the hospitals in Atlanta. So he comes in at like five o'clock right after, you know, his, the, the, they closed. He has to be in there while patients are receiving chemo. And, um, there always has to be a doctor in there. Um, and so he came to the ER and he sees me hooked up to the wall, no fluids, nothing. And he goes, have you been able to walk around? I go, no, they just have, I've been on this bed for like six, six hours. I asked once to go to the bathroom and they let me, and then they put me back and they hooked me up to the wall. Cause they're taking my blood pressure every, you know, 30 minutes. And, um, he's like, no, 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 we're, we're getting you out of here. I'm that's as soon as I finish. So he goes, all right. So chemo's canceled today. And I go, okay, well, that kind of stinks. Cause I, I had a timeline. <laughs> Uh, one of my friends who has season tickets to the Patriots, he was like, you get through chemo and you'll have the uh, first playoff game in Gillette. And I go, well, first of all, I need the Patriots to make it. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, which I had people rooting for the Patriots that hate the Patriots because I'm like, I need to get through this. Everything's pushed back a week now. And I'm going, oh, no, like. Um, that first game, I'm like, okay, guys, I need a bye week. All right, Patriots, I need a bye week, okay? Because <laughs> I needed an extra week between treatments. So, um, so, anyways, that was like, like he was gifting me that. So I was like, oh, I love you, Tom. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, uh, so everything's pushed back a week. So my mom had a ticket because she was she flew on the Thursday treatment Friday, and then she was going to fly home. I think Monday. She eventually started. She came after that. She's like, I'm coming to every single one of your chemo appointments, um, the heart chemo. And so she was still working. She ended up retiring in um, summer of uh, 2018. But during this time, she was still working. And um, so she would come to every single one of my chemo. She'd fly in on Thursday and then leave on Tuesday because that's normally when I was trying, attempting to go back to work because, you know, I worked through this whole thing. I think I tried to use as little time off as possible. It just was, you know, it was good for me. Um, and uh, so <laughs> Progetta was removed from my plan. So I just had now one HER2 targeted drug and then the other two chemo drugs. And um, I had the... Next five, because I had to repeat number two, obviously, because I don't do anything easy. Um, so those were uneventful, as in I still felt like crap. But during all this, I wasn't lifting. I was on my spin bike, and that was kind of when I got on my spin bike, I knew I was okay. Um, because whether or not I was just pedaling, I was like, I'm okay. I'm doing that. And I have a home gym set up, so I'm like, you know, I could do some things, but I wasn't, I wasn't feeling. And then I... <laughs> I remember my breast surgeon told me, she goes, I hope you gain weight in chemo because I was so lean. And I was like, that's really rude. And she goes, no, she goes, there's just something she's like, you know, you'll, you'll just react better to the medicine. I, and I was just like, okay, okay. And I did, I gained 
all in all through all this, I gained, I think the heaviest I went up was 40 pounds, but I've now kind of taken, I'm back to the weight I was when I walked in to my oncologist appointment. Uh, steroid weight sucks. So, yeah. um, and um, it just, yeah. So everything was fine going through that. And because I was having a bilateral mastectomy and they were going to be doing the lymph node, um, the sentinel lymph node um, testing. And if, uh, and then you came back positive, um, I would ha- be having some removed. So because I was having the bilateral, they didn't do an MRI because they're like, we're taking everything. And I said, okay. So they inject me with the little Smurf stuff. And um, I had my mastectomy on March, uh, correction, February 8th, 2018. The Patriots lost the Super Bowl that year, that Sunday prior. So <laughs> it was very disappointing, but this was also foreshadowing. So, <laughs> so um, I thought after my mastectomy, I loved my plastic surgeon, Dr. Woods. He was amazing. And they have, of the surgeons, usually one does your medication. So not each surgeon's not giving you medication. So there, so he handled all my medication. So after my mastectomy, like I had to have a week follow up with him and I had four drains. And during that week I was having muscle spasms and I didn't see my breast surgeon, I think until like, I think three, three or three weeks after maybe I saw him one week, maybe week two, I saw her. Um, I can't remember this. That's a blur. I'm sure I have that written down. Um, and he, you know, so I told him, I'm like, look, it's like my chest is just like, you know, spazzing. And when it spazzes, like, you know, my whole, your whole, you have an amputation. This is what happened. They amputate your, your, uh, chest. It is not a boot job. Mm-hmm. It's an amputation. So, and he goes, yeah. She, and, uh, she really had to scrape to get that down, which I learned later when I see her, I think it must've been week two. I saw her. Um, so he's like, I'm going to give you muscle relaxers. He goes, cause you have a lot of muscle tissue there. So like, they're just not happy right now. And I was like, okay. And, um, so I got those and I was on and I hated the, the, I don't like pain medicine. Um, I have to take it sometimes. Um, but you know, it is what it is. So I go to see Dr. Rashid and that's when she told me she cut my pack. She's like, I'm sorry. I had to, where the tumor was. I had to do a little cut on it. She's like, and I did really have to scrape the muscle. She goes, that's why you're spazzing so much. And she goes, um, and then they did remove, I can't remember how many lymph nodes, but right there on how many were positive, my staging, um, cause I, then I would also see Dr. Simpson later and my cancer grew in chemo. So, um, whether or not I had another tumor in there, we don't know cause we didn't do the, um, the MRI, but I actually ended up with two tumors. The one main one, which was my largest, I can't remember the size right now. Cause there's, you know, I have more tumors later. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, and it came back, it was grade three, um, highly aggressive and that I, um, and they were recommending at that time because I was doing the bilateral, I wasn't going to have radiation, but because it came, the pathology came back very aggressive, um, that I had a 90, I think it was like a 96% chance of it reoccurring that they're like, we're recommending 30, um, uh, things of radiation. And that's when I got to Dr. Benton, my radio. So is this after all of your chemo treatment that's is done? First, that's my first. Yeah. Cause you're, I was supposed to stay on her septin for, I think 
it was supposed to be like 18 total. So I would have had 12 more of it every three weeks. Um, so that's what I was expecting, which is just a targeted drug. And, um, but I couldn't start that till after I, I had to heal some from surgery. So I just had the mastectomy and I thought, um, I didn't know what a PET scan was. And, uh, so my Dr. Simpson's like, okay, I'm going to be sending you for a PET scan. And then I, I think I had mentioned the blood thinners, um, because Dr. Woods was very like, you, you shouldn't be on these a long period of time. You know, like I don't, I, he goes, I'm not a hematologist, you know, he goes, but you know, you should be asking, he goes, if I was, you know, you know, if this was like my wife, I'd be asking well, what's the process of coming off them? So like he opened my eyes to that and I was like, oh, okay. So I'll ask him. Um, so then he's like, okay, I'm going to send you for a PET scan. So I was assuming a PET scan was to talk about blood clots. Um, (laughs) so I had my PET scan, uh, which was a really, I don't know if you know much with PET scans, but basically a guy comes in. I'm very familiar. Yeah. It comes in with that (laughs) lead lead box with a lead syringe from like, it looks like the 1940s filled with this radioactive material that he just injects into my vein. And I'm just going, Mm -hmm. and I remember asking him and the guy who always does mine is Clint. And I get very upset if Clint's not there because the one time he wasn't, the lady threaded my IV, my, my vein and oh, oh, worst pain. So, um, I get very, so I know him now after three years. <laughs> so, um, I come in, I remember one time I had, uh, I was like, am I going to get least superpowers from this? I'm like, you know, cause you know, Bruce Banner, come on, can I be the Hulk? I, I'm okay with being green. <laughs> so, so he goes, no, it's not that kind. And I was like, all right, that's fine. So, um, so, but it's just a weird process that I'm like, you're literally bringing this thing in a lead box and then a lead syringe. And then you're just openly injecting it into my body. Okay, cool. Thanks. Just making sure we're all on the same track. So, um, on March 16th, I had the appointment with, this is 2018. So I had my appointment with my, um, oncologist to talk about my scan results. And my mom goes, Hey, why don't you take someone with you to that appointment? And I go, we're just talking about blood clots. Like I need to have somebody with me. I'm t- cause I'm thinking I'm cancer free because I had the most aggressive surgery. So I'm cancer free. And, um, and the reason I went with a bilateral is cause literally both of my boobs tried to kill me like on their own terms. And so I was like, no, this is it. They're gone. They're gone. I'll get new ones. Um, so I went in there and so I think March 16th, so I'm about a month and a half post uh, a mastectomy. I still had a lot of pain and, um, but I mean, I still was, I had, you know, bandages still on and stuff. And he's like, are you having, I'm like, well, I'm still having a lot of pain. And I kind of like point to my underarm kind of back shoulder area, kind of like that area of my left side. And he goes, well, let's take a look at this. this and um, this might explain some of it. And I was like, okay, that's cool. So he starts going through and the PET scan was so when they light them up. I've only seen this once. Normally I just get the reports and it's really cool. Like all of a sudden you see all your organs and I'm like, well, this is fascinating. I still had yet to know that I still had cancer. So, and he goes, um, so the pain's right there. You see how it's like lighting up. He goes, yeah, it's, it's still there. Um, so, but you're already going with radiation and, you know, um, Dr. Benton's getting that set up for you and all this. So it should take care of it. I still haven't registered what he just told me. And, um, I was like, okay. Cause you know, he was telling your kidneys are always lit up and like your brain's always lit up. And it was only like really from, you could only see the 
part of the brain. Um, cause I think it's like ear down or something like that. Um, so I was like, okay. So then I left and he goes, you're going to start with radiation. We're not going to do Herceptin cause it didn't seem to have any, um, effect on you. So we're going to change you to a, her, another her to chemo drug. And I'm like, I, I have, so I want to go back to your first chemo treatments. Yeah. How many treatments did you have during that In, first cycle of initial, chemo? Initial, it should have been six treatments. It ended up being seven because I failed number two. So I had to repeat, you know, it's like. And I, did I, they, did, they didn't do any scans to see if, they, uh, if the chemo getting, was helping? I wasn't getting scans, but my tumor, one of my tumor markers appeared in my blood. Um, I guess not everybody's, and I'm starting to learn that the, the hormone positive ones don't seem to sh- have that CA29 uh, marker because I asked a couple of my friends that are through it and they had my right cancer and they're like, no, we never, I never had any tumor markers. So my tumor marker initially was like in the 990 some. And um, after the first infusion, which had Progetta, it dropped to like 400 some. So it was significant change. So they would draw my tumor marker, I think once a month and both probably did it every, now that I'm thinking about probably every chemo, cause that's about once a month. Um, and no, I think I was going every, like I'd go the week after that, that cycle. Cause those were hard, my hard chemo. So that one, I had to go a lot more to the doctor, which I didn't like. So that's why I stopped traveling them because, well, I was getting poisoned. Um, so I, uh, so they were watching it and my tumor marker was kind of responding, but then it would dip down and then it shot back up. Um, never got reached back up into the 900s and then, but it was still, it stayed in the 400s, I want to say for the entire rest of the time. So, but per, like Pergetta, I feel had I not been deathly allergic to it, I would have had better, um, results, I think, but because my body doesn't like medication. Um, it said no. So that's why we didn't have any scans because he's like, not everybody can see it in their uh, tumor marker. He goes, not everybody shows it. He goes, but yours is showing. And, you know, we're seeing some improvement. So we were just under the, uh, under the assumption that it was shrinking. And because I was choosing to do the bilateral mastectomy, they're like, we're going to, you know, we're taking everything out anyways. And I was like, okay. So I didn't have a scan before my mastectomy. The only thing I had was after they inject the blue stuff, they do a, this is when I learned chemo made me claustrophobic. Um, my mom and my aunt were in the room with me and I, you know, they injected in your lymph nodes to, I guess, for the doctor to see, um, you know, more clearly or whatever. Then they had to do some scans and I'm getting, um, I'm up on this table and I hadn't been driven into this. Um, it's probably like a CT scan or something. And I just see myself going into this, this little small hole and I start freaking out. My mom just looks, she goes, are you claustrophobic? And I go, I never used to be. <laughs> I was like, and the lady's like, it's okay. You can turn your head, turn your head. You'll be able to see out. You'll be able to see out. And I was like, okay, I'm not liking this. So, but, um, so yeah, I, the first scan I had, um, that wasn't a CT cause a CT was really for my blood clot was the PET scan. And so after he told me I, on March 16th, um, and my family is, we're Irish. So we've always, you know, celebrated St. Patty's day, not like necessarily drinking. I did that in my twenties, but you know, like, like, you know, we always had like corned beef and like, you know, um, potatoes and like, you know, mm-hmm. everything I wore was green that day, you know, it was just, it was just how we were raised. Um, 
that was the first year I never celebrated St. Patty's Day. And my mom didn't either because I, I had to call her. Well, first I called my aunt because she wanted to know after that appointment. And I called her and she was at cards and I forgot she plays cards on, on Friday. And um, so I start telling her what he said to me and I hadn't registered. And she goes, Chris, 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 um, I gotta call, I'm going to call you back when um, I get home from cards. And I go, oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot you're on cards. She goes, I need you to hang up the phone and drive straight home. Because I think she realized I was piecing everything together, but I hadn't registered on me that happened. So I was like, why is she talking to me like like two years old? I'm like, okay, it's a weird reaction. So all of a sudden, I'm probably a half a mile after hanging up with her. And like my doctors are all within five miles, but five miles in Atlanta. So, so um, it all dawns on me what he told me. I still had cancer and I just broke down. Like I cried. I'm like, I don't understand. I went through four months of torture. I like amputated. I'm like, how do I still have cancer? So, um, after the pathology came back, my stage had gone from two B to three because of the amount of lymph nodes that were, um, infiltrated, I guess is what they call it. Um, so I had changed from being on Herceptin to Cadcilla which I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but it's a chemo drug. Um, it's basically a HER2 targeted drug mixed with chemo. So, um, and we were get, I'm supposed to be getting this every three weeks. And I, my first one was March 31st, 2018. And my doctor looked at me, he goes, we don't do this drug and radiation at the same time, but we don't have a choice with you because you have active cancer in your body. So we have to start you on this. He goes, you're young. You're going to be able to handle it. Um, you know, and I'm thinking, because my body loves drugs, right? Um, so oh, so um, radiation was, I think most people will say it's, it was one of the easiest things. It was very straightforward to me. Like, you know, the, the longest appointment is when they make the mold and they, you know, you know, they tattoo you. They didn't tell me they were going to tattoo me. So the poor girl... <laughs> The poor girl had no knowledge that I had not been told. And then she stabs me like, like total, like how I did, you know, uh, with some ink and a needle when I was 14, I gave myself a tattoo. Yeah. Uh, it was basically kind of like that, but they did little, so I have random like six dots across my whole chest and armpit, um, that I always wanted to kind of just connect them, I guess. I don't know what you do with them now. Um, so, um, and when she stabbed me, I was kind of like, she goes, Oh, she goes, they didn't tell you. I go, uh, that you were going to stab me. No. Um, she goes, Oh, we have to make these little markers to make your alignment easy. I'm like, Oh, okay. She goes, I'm so sorry. They normally tell, tell them. I, I go, it's cool. You got to do what you got to do. So just, that's cool. And she goes, and then she goes, Oh, you're really bleeding. I go, Oh, I'm on blood thinners. Should I mention that? <laughs> so, <laughs> so this poor girl, she was super sweet. And, uh, uh, radiation was, Groundhog's Day, uh, five days a week for six weeks, uh, 30 whole treatments. And um, I would go to work. I was working, I think, 6 to 2.30, leaving work, driving home, letting the dogs out really quick because um, they've been you know, home alone. And then I go drive straight to radiation and I'd have my radiation treatment at like 345 or four. I can't remember. It was, it was very, it was very tight window I had to make. And, but you'd walk in and it was 15 minutes, like, you know, from walking in, you know, saying, Hey, I'm here and oh, go on back. So then you have to put this, this part I didn't understand. And I guess maybe 
it's because they're trying to give you some modesty. But by this point, I'm like, first of all, I think all of DeKalb, uh, um, medical center, which is now Emory, but, um, has seen my boobs because my, my breast surgeon always had, you know, students with her. And she's like, um, do you mind if they come in? I go, well, no, I mean, they can see what a tumor, you know, looks and feels like the, you know, this is a great learning experience. So I, I had no problem. My mom was very shocked at that, but I was like, what? It's what they're doing. They're just going to cut them off anyways. So, um, so, um, plus I always wanted a, a breast reduction my entire life too. So I'm like, I really, once they decided to have war against me, I had just disowned them. Mm-hmm. So, um, the radiation was like, basically I just wore a t-shirt and then I take the t-shirt off, put the little smock on, and then you walk into the radiation room and then you'd have to take the smock off. So I'm like, what's the purpose of the smock? Like, why don't I just come in here, <laughs> take my shirt off and get on the thing? Um, but my first radiation appointment was I did cheer. Um, I remember standing, you had to stay still and I'm laying on this table and I'm watching this machine. I still don't understand how this machine works. And I had 30 treatments of it. I still don't know. But, um, I just remember thinking they told you your entire life to stay away from radiation. Radiation is bad. You know, I'm like, and here I am. I put biohazard in my body. I've, uh, you know, now I'm radiating my body, which I'm like, what is this going to do? And so I was just going back and forth. And I was like, and so I kind of teared a little bit, but they had good music. And every week it changed depending on which uh, radio guy was there. Um, But they were very friendly. And um, I would every now and then run into one other woman. um, But most of the time, it was uh, a lot of men were there. So I don't know what they were getting done. But it seemed like a lot of men were going in and out and they had a little tin can, which I learned that's what they put everything in their pockets in. Women have purses apparently. So, (laughs) so, um, I went through that and the, um, exhaustion hit me because I was also getting this drug every three weeks. So I think I had two infusions during my radiation time, uh, about halfway through my exhaustion, just, I hit a wall. And I also, March 31st is when I began tamoxifen. I was already on Lupron, which is the um, drug that shuts my ovaries down. I started that when I started chemo. Um, They were still doing every three months. They had to change that. I now get it monthly. But um, so... So was was radiation the the last part of your treatment? It was supposed to be. And I was supposed to be on this... Catzilla, from my understanding, for like I think twelve treatments, like it would have been for her septum, is my okay. initial thought. Which, um, because of um, how it was, he wanted to do a little bit more. So he's he's like, we're probably going to go a year, and I was like, okay. So at November of 2018, I had my final reconstruction because you had to wait six months from when the ra- radiation ended to when you got re. Um, when you could have your surgery because of the, the tissue. And I had expanders in here. So my um, bre- uh, plastic surgeon was like, I'm glad you have expanders. He goes, because sometimes the um, implants will get dented and, or like shrinkage or something. He goes, so having the implants, he goes, we just couldn't inflate me until I think in the middle of June. So I was very flat chested for a while, which honestly wasn't bad. I was like, well, this is a nice little difference, except that I was, I had gained so much weight. I think I was up 30 pounds by then. Um, and I was slowly trying to, you know, working it off, but it's very hard when you have drugs that are causing it. Um, so November, 2018, final reconstruction, 
Now, June of 2018, I started complaining about headaches. And they sent me for, um, because I had expanders, and expanders have metal things in them, so you can't have MRIs. So they sent me for a um, CT of my brain. They didn't show anything. He goes, you know what? It's a side effect of the chemo drug, which it was. Uh, It's a side effect of most of the drugs I'm on. Um, So in November, I had the surgery. In December of 2018, I work for the federal government, and we had a shutdown where... um, this was the first time in my career I wasn't essential because con- aircraft controllers have to work whether they're getting paid or not. Um, and so I was like furloughed and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in the middle of like cancer treatment. Like what is happening? I don't know what's going on. And this was like one of the longest shutdowns through my career. Um, and probably ever, but whatever. Um, so, uh, but it's the longest time where I think we missed two, almost three checks. And I remember in January when, you know, it's time to renew up and I was still on um, my chemo drug. And in November, the doctor and I said, um, I'm like, how long am I going? He goes, well, we're, we're going off of your scans. He goes, I think we should probably do till September. Cause it was either I was going to be done in April or I was going to be done in September. And I was like, okay, I can, I can make it another nine months. I can do this. Um, so right around December, the reason I mentioned the shutdown is my headaches changed and they started getting so severe. And I was just like, and I kept complaining. Um, it's not complaining, it's reporting, but, um, and I kept telling them something's wrong. Look, look, my, I understand I have a lot of stress going on where like, you know, I not getting paid. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, all this different things are happening. Um, you know, like you prepare, you keep savings, but then you get cancer. And of course, you know, that's just normal occurrences. But then I'm like going, okay, what happens when it's been pouring for like three years? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so, oh, and so I was like, all right. Um, I, I guess my doctor finally was like, you know what? I think you're having migraines. Let's send you to a neurologist. So I go to the neurologist. I'm talking, I have neuropathy, which is the numbness in your hands and feet and stuff like that, which I've had since day one of chemo. Um, and, um, but I was having, um, just my right side of my head, um, in the back, I could, I was sitting, I'm like right here, it just hurts so bad. And I get the, it starts with shooting pains up the left side and then it's just concentrated in this one spot. And it's very hard to describe a headache if you don't have one. So he looks at me and he goes, Oh, it's probably just, you know, your side effect or your medication. I did not like this guy. I don't like the brain guys. I'm not going to lie. Um, so, um, He's like, I, you know, we're going to check this box and get you a brain MRI just to see. And I was like, okay. So once again, April 26th of 2019, I get a, um, I have chemo and then I go straight to a brain MRI, which um, petrifies me because it's a small enclosed space and it was not cool. Um, and then that following Monday, I'm on my way to Jersey. <laughs> so um to go uh for a two-week trip because i finally just started traveling again you know the government turned back on i guess um and so i'm going up and i'm traveling to jersey and i get a phone call i'm probably in maryland so i'm about an hour and a half from atlantic city and um i was talking to my mom at the time i go huh it's weird she goes what i go it actually looks like um 
Dr. Simpson's office, like, you know, one of them, I'm like, they must be calling about like my next appointment or whatever, not thinking much of it because if it dawned on me, my next appointment wasn't for two weeks. So I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. So then they called back. So I was like, you know, mom, I'm just going to pick this up. And she's like, are you sure? Maybe you shouldn't pick this up. And I was like, ah, it's probably nothing. Maybe my blood work came out kind of funny because normally your blood work, all of the blood works back on the following Monday. And I had had low potassium before because that's one of the side effects of this drug. So they had prescribed me potassium that I had to take for like, I think a week or something like that. It was really weird. Um, I just, I picked up a prescription and followed the instructions. I didn't know why I was taking it pretty much the story of my life. Um, so, and, uh, so she was like, um, she's like, maybe you shouldn't pick it up. And I was just like, uh, you know, I'm just, they keep calling. I'm like, so I, I hang up with her and I just, you know, answer and they're like, Oh, so the doctor needs to see you this afternoon. I'm like, well, I'm in, I am in Maryland. I'm going to Jersey on a work trip. I'm like, I'm, I can't come in. And he, she's like, Oh, okay. Let me uh, email them. Uh, Cause they emailed the PA and the doctor that they can maybe do a phone conversation with you. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm just still thinking it's just my medication, like my blood work came back funny. So totally didn't dawn on me. I had a brain on Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, so my mom, I call her back. She goes, Chris, you can't answer that phone call if they call you on the road. And I was just like, what? I'm like, I'll be fine. I was like, you know, I can pull over. I'm like, I'm almost there. I'm like an hour out by this time. She's like, no, just do not answer it. And I was like, okay, I'll wait till I get to the hotel. If they call, I'll just call back. So I didn't get a phone call from them on the entire drive to the hotel, arrived at the hotel just fine. I was unloading and I get a phone call, another, um, uh, Atlanta's 404. So another 404. And I was like, Oh, this is a weird number. I'm like, well, maybe my doctor's just on it. Like you, maybe his like personal line or whatever. So I just pick up it's the neurologist office saying, okay, well they found, um, and the girl like had no, <laughs> no, like, no, like, Hey, are you sitting? <laughs> are you, yeah, no, but you're ready for this? Is, yeah. um, so they found a brain ma- uh, mass in your brain. And I was just like, what? No, you were referring you to, um, a neurosurgeon. They're going to be getting in contact with you shortly. And I'm just going, there's a mass in my brain. Like, what? Brain. And so everything and in your brain like, is always slow backwards. down. That's a lot I, of information. So <laughs> I'm still like, holy crap. Okay. So I finished unloading the car and I was like, all right, get the dog settled. Cause you know, they're so good. They eat right before we leave and then they don't eat until we get to the hotel. And, um, so, you know, get them out walking and then, you know, I get them to eat and settled. And then the neurosurgeon office calls me and they're like, okay, can you come in tomorrow? I go, well, no. <laughs> so I go, um, I'm in New Jersey. So they're like, all right, well, when can I go? How about next week? Cause I'm like, I'm one, I can't turn around and just do a 12 hour drive back. <laughs> I just can't. I, um, one need, you know, I am on active cancer treatment and I have sanity. So, um, I made the appointment for the Tuesday after. Um, so I can't remember what the date was, but it was like the first week of May, I think. And, um, so I was like, um, you know, I had to tell, um, the, uh, Jerry at, the tech center that, you know, Hey, I got to leave. I have to cut this trip short. He goes, do you need to go home today? And I go, Jerry, I physically can't. I want to work this week. I need to work this week. Let me just, you know, process what's being said to me. And then, um, 
my oncologist, I did talk to him that night and he goes, yeah, there seems to be a, a mass. It's on your right side. And like, and we were talking, but everything's flipped in the brain, you know? So like, it's to me, I'm like, well, it makes sense why it's on your right side. And I was having <laughs> every single side effect imaginable made sense to me where it was. I was having vision issues. It was in my occipital lobe and then my parietal lobe. Like it's kind of like right on the line. Everybody's brain's slightly different, but um, mainly occipital, but it was partly in my parietal, which is balance. And I was having balance issues. Um, my headaches. Um, so <laughs> I walk into the neurosurgeon office I'm not the biggest fan of him. He has no bedside manner. I'm 37 then, right? How old am I now? Yeah, okay, 37. Um, so he comes in and he's like, can you explain what's going on? And I'm pointing to my head and he goes, wait, it's right there. I go, yeah, it hurts right here. So it's great. I have a headache. So you at least know what's going on. And um, he's like, okay, Um come here. And so he comes, brings me over and he shows me, he goes, you literally just pointed to your tumor. And he goes, it doesn't make sense why you can feel it. Cause it must be just like, you know, he, cause I wouldn't expect you to be feeling, it. I go, well, apparently my brain doesn't like things in there. Um, so that's all I'm thinking. I'm like, why are you downgrading my, what I'm feeling? I'm like, how many tumors have you had in your brain? Um, so he really didn't have my, my sense of humor. I think he had a dry sense of humor and I have a dark sense of humor. So, um, uh, so he, you know, went through the options and I was like, okay, well, he's like, I'll talk to Dr. Simpson and Dr. Benton. Cause he was my, um, radio, my radiation oncologist. So, and, um, my understanding was we were going to all, I was going to meet all three doctors and go over, you know, all the possibility. Cause he talked about the gamma knife and then he talked about, um, you know, surgery. And then, um, I think those were the, the options. And for me, after talking to Dr. Benton, um, I told him, I'm like, I need to know what it is. I go, there's a possibility that it's benign. I want to, I want to know that. So I'm like, I need to have surgery. And he goes, okay. I, you know, I completely agree. He goes, I'm like, if I was in my sixties, seventies, I'd say gamma knife that thing right out. I go, when I'm 37 and I'm like, I need to know if it is one of my cancers, what, which cancer it is. Cause it could have been either my right cancer, my left cancer, or it could have been a mutation of two of them. And like maybe completely changed the, the, um, ugh, no markers. So, um, they, uh, they were like, okay, so I'm trying to get back in with him. I had another Jersey uh, trip. Um, I went up over Memorial day. I remember cause my one friend, she's, she grew up there. So we, we went to the beach. I had never been told not to go into the sun and that maybe all of these drugs could really interfere with that. I had a big hat on cause you know, I'm very fair skinned. So I knew I always burned on my face. So I had slathered, you know, stuff there, but I was like, I wouldn't mind just a little color on my legs cause they're pretty pasty. Um, under these leggings. So, so I burned and my legs swelled. I had, um, big boils on it, I guess. I don't know. I had never seen that before. I had to turn around and drive home and they were like, you need to go to the hospital. I go, you don't understand with my condition, they won't release me. I go, I have to drive home. Just, just let me go home. I'm meeting with my neurosurgeon. I go, we're getting, I have to get scheduled for surgery. You know, I have to get this thing out of my brain. And, uh, so they're like, okay, so my brain surgery happened on June 12th. 
And even when I went to see him, he goes, oh, I thought you would have gamma knifed it out. And I was like, no, I told you I needed to know all my options and, um, um, you know, to make a decision on what was best for me. And I want to know what it is. So he's like, okay, so June 12th, I got on the books and my mom was already, she always came down um, for my birthday. So she was already scheduled to come down. She just had to change um, the return date. And Delta was amazing with her. She actually ended up getting a credit. We don't know how she did that, but she changed her her ticket, told them that what was happening, and they credit her because she flew back on a less busy day. I guess <laughs> I was like, "Wow, wow, that's I know." I was like, "Mom, that's unheard of." I know, Mom, it's not it's not normal for you to get a two hundred dollar credit. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, shout out to Delta for being uh, so amazing because she's had to change so many tickets because of me and my uh, cancer experience. So, um, brain surgery basically. Um, was one of the most different surgery experiences at this point because I could move. <laughs> um, uh, mastectomy, I couldn't move my chest. Even my um, my just reconstructive one, I still had like, you know, limited movement. But like me, I was like, once I came to, I was awake. And I, I remember my forehead hurt because they put you your head in a... Um, like a harness kind of deal when they cut you open mm-hmm. and um, they didn't have to shave my head. Um, I think I already had a Mohawk at that time anyway, so it didn't matter. Um, and then they did the, they, you know, opened it up and they came back and I remember every surgery, my surgeon has spoke to me and I remember being awake um, and you know, go to the recovery room while you wait for, um, my bed and ICU to become available. Cause he always puts his, um, brain, uh, surgeries in ICU. And, um, just because you get a little more monitor, I guess, I don't know. Uh, and he comes over and he goes metastatic, uh, 37 year old, um, metastatic breast cancer patient. And I'm going, first of all, it's not confirmed that I'm metastatic. Second of all, I just turned 38. And so that's all I'm thinking. Like, why isn't this man speaking to me? Like all my other doctors spoke to me before. I didn't see him until the next morning at like nine or 10. And I was just like, never spoke to me post-surgery. And I was like, this is just so weird. And a lot of people are like, you know, um, that kind of field, they have weird personalities. And I was like, I guess I'm like, he did good work, I guess. But, um, I was put on anti-seizure meds, um, because of a precautionary, because if you have a seizure, you lose your license for six months regardless. Um, and so I was just, he goes, we're just going to push you on it. And then like in a couple, like three months, we start weaning you off of them. I just want to say it's been a year. I'm still on them. So not happy because of COVID. So, so, um, cause my appointment got postponed, so I'm still taking them anyways. Um, it came back. He was correct. I was metastatic, but I needed the proof and, um, it was my left cancer. So it, um, which is not surprising her two and triple negative, I believe are the two breast cancers that are more commonly so known to jump up there. How long from your original diagnosis to this date? Was it like, it sounds like two years. Two and a half years. it took years. them to it was two and a half years. years. Yeah. So I, from when I had my mastectomy, which was in February of 2018, that was already six months in, I guess, on my whole, I guess it's a journey with my whole lifetime story, I think. But um, so, because um, it was August was my um, diagnosis in 2017. February, I had my mastectomy. I thought it was done. I was just going to be doing that, her, that targeted drug. Um, but because 
it was still in the lymph nodes. When it's in your lymph nodes, um, how breast cancer becomes, um, for ones that don't know what metastatic is, um, it becomes in your bloodstream. So when you go metastatic, you always, it's incurable at that point. It's treatable, but incurable because it's in your bloodstream and it's just looking for the right um, factors to play where it can build new tumors is pretty much mm-hmm. how I think of it. Mm-hmm. So um, it was in my, when it was still in my lymph nodes, I think it's then where it kind of just decided to, you know, take a little stroll upstairs and um, just kind of work towards it. And most chemo drugs and most drugs in particular don't cross the blood brain barrier because the blood brain barrier there is, you know, there to protect you. So, you know, from foreign things, that's why if you have, uh, I think it's meningitis, if they don't know you have meningitis and they just give you an antibiotic, not all, only one antibiotic, um, breaks the blood brain barrier. So, that's kind of like how it was told to me. And I was like, okay, so my chemo drug basically works my whole body. So it keeps my body in check. So that's so I, what the chemo drug you're currently that's on. What I'm currently on that doesn't okay. need to be going. That's what I was going to get into. Like now what does treatment look uh, like? Um, for, for like people listening, you know, no. uh, obviously we all know metastatic is, is not a curable yeah. stage of and breast cancer. That's what, so a lot what of does people, treatment look like? Um, so um, after brain surgery, um, I had to wait a couple months and then I had brain radiation. Um, the brain radiation was different than my um, chest radiation as my chest radiation, I told you, was like in and out 15 minutes, maybe 10 minutes was the actual, I think 10 minutes if I had uh, pictures that day. Um, but brain surgery, uh, brain radiation was completely different. I think it's called SRS, which is um, stereotactic radio surgery or something like that. Basically, it's like a high form of radio beams, radio radiation going into one concentrated spot. So um, it's a longer period. I had um, I have this cool little mask that I keep on the wall to remind myself of what I've been through. It looks like a hockey mask. Um, so um, I... Um, had to have two one-hour sessions and one 45-minute session. So I had three total. And basically, tumors have tentacles. And so the radiation after it was supposed to hopefully get any of those tentacles from, you know, doing its thing. So um, what treatment is now, so after that, I began my chemo drug. So surgery was, brain surgery was in June. Chemo began July first, I want to say. I still wasn't able to drive. My mom had to drive me. Um, Actually, when she left, she was really nervous because I couldn't drive still at that time. Um, uh, He had to clear me back to drive. And I think it was a total of like six or seven weeks before I was able to drive again. Um, And when I went to uh, brain radiation, I actually had someone drive me because I started feeling the side effects right away. And even the doctor was like, she's like, I had to go to a different, um, same facility, just a different, um, location because that's where they have the brain stuff. So I had a different radiation oncologist, but Dr. Benton oversaw everything. And so they just, she was even telling me, she goes, you probably won't start feeling the side effects until maybe treatment two or three. I felt it right away. Like the exhaustion Mm -hmm. was just insane. It was, um, I still don't feel right. Um, so, and I remember telling my mom when it was done, I think it was like October or something. I said, I'm not doing that again. And she goes, but you will if you have to. And I go, I don't know. 
to tell you the truth. I don't know if I will let them radiate my head again. Um, the only thing my neurosurgeon did say was, um, if they say whole brain radiation, don't do that one. He goes, you'll have a serious cognitive decline. And I'm like, I already feel I have cognitive decline. So during all this, I had a PET scan in August as well. I think it was around August 16th, maybe. No, that was treatment. So I don't know. Anyway, so I had a, um, a PET scan in August of 2019 and it came back. I'm stable. I also have brain MRIs. So when I have a PET scan every three to four months, I have a brain MRI at the same time. That's how the chemo drug treats the body and we just monitor the brain for any more activities. So I came back with both scans that I'm stable. So stable is amazing if you have stage four. So stage four is kind of like a whirlwind because you're either on periods of stability and then periods of progression and just means drugs have to change. So my current drug is still at Cadzilla because he's like, there's nothing in your body. So we're going to go with that. It's working. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. So at that time, he's like, do you want to, I could, I had, um, it was the 16th. I think it was a Friday. I was supposed to be getting treatment. He goes, what we could do is, um, one of two things. Uh, we could either skip this treatment or we could give you, um, an extra break because like radiation, uh, brain radiation was so hard on my body, especially like, you know, brain surgery than that. And then the chemo drug, I was just having a hard time rebounding back. And, um, so I was like, well, let's do four weeks because I was, um, I had a ticket to go to the opening, um, game of the, and Gillette in the Foxborough to see the banner drop because we had just run number six. <laughs> so I was so excited. And I'd never been to a banner um, drop or anything like that. So to me, I was like, that'll be great. I'm going to be, you know, going up there and it'll give me an extra week where I'll actually feel maybe better. Um, so that was four weeks. That's when I began every four weeks this drug. And then in October, I was supposed to, I think it was October 4th, Fifth, this dates could be wrong, but um, of and I went in. It was three weeks post that last chemo, which would have been the normal cycle. And my doctor looks at me and I go, "I'm just exhausted. I don't know what's going on. I'm like, I'm not feeling." He goes, "You're not having treatment today. Um, we're gonna just go every four weeks." We're he goes, "We have a little play. You, your scans have been, you know, good." So he goes, "We have play. So let's just go every four weeks." Um, for this drug till he goes, your body's been through a lot in the six last well, th At this point, it was like two and a half years. Um, and so now I get chemo every four weeks. Um, they have, I think, tried to talk about every three weeks. And I said, no. And then how I, often are you getting, how often are you getting scans? Um, every, okay. My last scan was in May. So that's kind of a, I'm not responding well to my, chemo. I'm not bouncing Current back chemo. like I was. Okay. Um, just for me, I know with this drug, it's never been, um, like my other drugs, it was like, Oh, about a week and a half. I was feeling like, good. I'm on the bike this week. I'm always got, excuse me, uh, the sickness right after, um, right after infusion, I get, um, like a flu. It feels like on um, the weekend after. And then, um, I start, then it's up and down. I have good days. I have bad days. And the hardest thing for me is recognizing bad days. And once I recognize them, I just allow them to happen. And that's where I'll say COVID kind of opened me up 
to recognizing that I'm not okay. I probably went back to work mm-hmm. too early. I probably started traveling too early. Then the whole world shuts down. And yeah. that's when I started realizing I'm not okay. My body is just tired. And my mom keeps telling me, she goes, yeah, it's just tired of everything. So I had a scan in November of 2019 and I was still stable. And then I had one in, I think it said it was in the first week of March, but I thought it was the end of February, but I don't know. I have all my forms. Um, and it was also stable. Now my scan in May I was told I'm stable, which it is. If you, I always ask for, I believe everyone should have copies of their documentation because I do believe um, they don't do anything spiteful, but they try to shield, um, I feel, at least metastatic patients a little bit uh, because it's a lot of stress and stuff. You know, you live your life every three to four months. So in May scan, um, there was a slight change in my brain and on the report, it actually says, cause it differed from the November and I thought it was February, but anyways, um, those two scans, it changed that they're like, there's a thickening. It wasn't seen in the prior and they've mentioned these, those two scans, those two brain MRIs. So it could be just from, uh, surgery, post-surgery, you know, or, but we cannot rule out carcinoma. So I'm like, and I, when I read that, because I think I just got that report in July, I was like, hey, I just want a copy of like, you know, all my um, scans for this year. I don't have them. So, um, and I'm a person, I read my pathologies. I learned how to read them. I read my um, scans. If I don't know a word, I'm going to Google it, like six different ways to figure out what it means. Um, and if I have further questions, I ask my, you know, my care team. So, when I saw that, I was like, they didn't even mention that there could be a slight change. And so I'm like, I'm sorry. Oh, the dog, the next door. Comes out. I'm sorry. Dino, please stop. Um, she comes out. It's my one, the younger dog's girlfriend. I call him cause she comes <laughs> out and looks at our door and barks to try to get Dino going. Um, so, but anyways, yeah. So there's been a, like a little change, but they don't know. So we'll see this next, uh, scan which I'm thinking on Friday when I talk with my doctor, we're going to be scheduling it. I just didn't want it this month because my mom's in the process of moving down here. So um, I'm going, you know, up there to help drive back with her. She's going to have just a trailer, just things that will be locally stored. And then the movers take the rest till she gets a place. Um, But I think it'll be really good for both of us. Um, Especially since my stuff, my drama doesn't seem to stop. So, um, and I know, It'd just be, it'd just be best for, I feel it'd be good for both of us. So, um, I didn't want any scans prior to this, so I didn't ask. (laughs) So I know, I know how to do things. (laughs) Like, so like, I know my scan was in, in May, so I knew my, I'd be up around November, uh, August. And so I was like, maybe we can just, and I think when I was there in, uh, my last, uh, treatment, uh, with the PA, I had the meeting and I was like, yeah, we'll probably be getting scans. I understand like September at least would probably be the earliest we have on my own thinking. And you know, just kind of planting the seeds, you know, but, um, it wasn't until I went metastatic that I realized you have more control over your treatment than I thought. Like, cause now I'm like, you know, after I went metastatic, I was like, I want to travel. I want to do these things. I'm like, um, I was supposed to go to Ireland this past June, but obviously <laughs> everything got shut down and Americans aren't allowed anywhere. So, um, <laughs> so 
um, that just got pushed back. But then I started learning. I'm like, you know, I kind of told them, I'm like, you know, I'm going to book this ticket if it doesn't work within my, my chemo. And they're like, oh, we'll just move the chemo to adjust to your schedule. She goes, you're allowed to live your life. If you need, you know, to like have an extra, uh, week or like, you know, change the date around. She goes, we have room to change. She goes, we want you to live your life. And I was like, okay, this is like the first time I've known that I could do this. <laughs> so I was mm-hmm. like, so, and I'm actually doing it on this next treatment. I was supposed to have it on nine 11, but, um, cause I am going up to help her move down. Um, I asked instead of having it Friday, if I could do it that Monday, the 14th, um, get, kind of give me a little, hopefully, a good week. We'll cross our fingers for a good week. This is week three and I've had a couple bad days. I mean, I was in the ER on Monday. So, so, so. Well, and I, I think that that's one thing that it's like, it's a marathon, not a sprint, yeah, right? Exactly. So, keeping that mindset of this is a, this is my life and this is your life. Changed. And because it used to be, how do I get through it? Now it's like, okay, how do I live the longest with it? Yeah. So, so what would you say to date? Like what has been your biggest lesson from breast cancer? Uh, to live. Um, I was, I felt I was living life. Everything when you're in prep, you have to have every single thing is like your day is like scheduled out. Like you have to eat at this time you, you train at you know, this mm-hmm. time and working shift work. It's like, you know, I was spending anywhere between two and four hours in the gym, depending if I, how much cardio I had to do. Um, and then on shift work, you would work a six to two PM shift and then go back in at like 10 at night and work until like 6 AM. And I was doing double, um, overnight shifts because, um, it gave me more time during the day. So I'm like, um, so I was working crazy, crazy hours and I was just totally fine living, uh, four hours of sleep. And, um, I like sleep. Um, so, um, it made me kind of pause and look at, and that's why, you know, when you ask who I am, I, I've looked back at my life and, you know, you're always the enemy, I feel, in somebody's story. But um, I just want to leave an impression that I made people smile or, you know, like if they think of me, they don't, people don't think of what you, you know, really you said and stuff like that. They, they remember how you made them feel. So it kind of just made me realize really what's important in life. Um like it's not it's not like things and that it's 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 relationships um whether you know like my I cherish the time I have with my dogs and as I'm watching my oldest get older I'm having the hardest time with it um and uh so and just like relationships with family and friends I feel Mm -hmm. like um I had so many people who just like because I remember what somebody told me they were like, hey, when you go through something, she's like, people show their true colors. They'll either, um, uh, they'll turn, they'll see you and they'll either turn away. She goes, that's not your problem. That's their problem. So, mm-hmm. and she goes, but you'll see who's around you. And I realized I had this huge family at work, um, whether it was at Atlanta Center or my Jersey family and like, you know, even my union, NACA across the whole nation, like that just came out and just was there doing things to help me. And I'm getting better at asking for help. I'm not very good at it. I did ask for rides to, to radiation. I will say that. Yay, go me. <laughs> um, so, um, but it was just, I had a very 
pleasant experience. I only had like, I think a couple that I was like, wow, I would never have thought that about you or something like that. Like I thought we were, you know, really close and stuff, but, Mm -hmm. but those were so few and I had so many like just come and like surround me. And like now, of course you can't hug people or anything, but it's just, um, you would be so surprised on how many people, you know, love you, you know? And so I just learned, um, for some reason I have, Oh, I want to see things. I want to, you know, travel. I want to, I want to live. I want like nature. (laughs) Nature was a huge thing. I'm like, I really want to like go see mountains. I want to see water. So being in the gym four to six hours is no longer. (laughs) Yeah. Well, actually, I'm not going to lie. I still, I want to do one more competition. I want to compete again. Um, Just one more time. And mm-hmm. someone's like, no, you could do it many more times. I go, no, it's, it's a lot of work. Like it's, yeah. it's a lot just, out of your life. I just life. need I one go, more. I want one more one, good one. I want one more. <laughs> I want to beat the physique I was at and just say, Hey, I did it. I, you know, so I do have that goal, but I'm taking it very, very slow. So yeah. <laughs> because I'm well, I hope that, I hope that we're here to, you to help amazing. you and do that. Yes. <laughs> you're being so amazing. Like all the resources you guys provide. I'm like, cause I was talking actually one of my friends, he um, donated to my fundraiser and he actually said, he goes, he got, I got a message because you know, I, you know, I made this donation. It says, you know, boobs in it. And they messaged me like, <laughs> what are you doing? Like what? And he goes, um, it's for it's a charity for breast cancer. <laughs> and he was like, and the guy was like, Oh, I had no idea. And he was like, what is, I was like, because women are so sexualized and especially boobs. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, like this needs to be aware. It's okay for me to say boobs. Okay. It's okay. It's, it is okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I had no genetic markers. I had my, my, obviously my, I am the, I am the um, exception, not the rule, is what I want everyone to know. I'm the exception, not the rule, okay? Not everybody's experience is going to be this. (laughs) So um, uh, my mom always said she lived by Murphy's Law, and I think she should have named me Murphy. So (laughs) (laughs) because everything that could go wrong has gone wrong, but I, you know, I'm trucking in. I'm trucking through there. Mm -hmm. I have good days and bad and but I'm still wow. here every day I wake up and the days that I can lift I'm happy and mm. um you know I have goals and I really want to help other women going through this because that was something that's why I started my blog um because I wanted I was looking for someone like me you know that one had two breast cancers at the same time which I haven't found. So, um, but you know, so you kind of look like you want someone that like kind of is your age or, you know, like, you know, so when everyone sees me, they're, you're too young. And I'm like, don't say that. Please don't say that. I, I follow ones on Instagram that are, um, 18, 21. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I go, it happens at any age. And I'm like, it's just, it's not right. And it needs to be more awareness needs to be raised for it. So I love what you guys are doing. Thank you so much, and Kristen. Your story is crazy. I know. I mean, I know. So I was, I tried to warn you. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, Thank you so much for coming on yeah. and sharing your story. This has been fantastic. Yeah. Um, such great information. And I, you know, obviously I think uh, having more conversations about stage four is going to be so important it for our is. community and, and I think, and educating others. And because I um, wasn't even sure um, if I was eligible when I, when I signed up, I needed to get my life back when I did the rad um, in mm-hmm. November. 
November of 2019, I'm like, I need some control back. And my control for me has always been my, um, like lifting and that's your fitness. Yeah. So in January is when I kind of started back with everything. And then I've had the nutrition, um, N- N- Nicole, I think, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nicole called mm-hmm. me and I had the, that, and then the whole B student, I'm loving that. Um, and I didn't, I haven't even looked and see if, if I got a grade this week. I'm just saying I haven't looked. Yet. I just, I was, I reviewed them earlier today. Okay, so so I I've, got, I've got some feedback for you all. Oh God. <laughs> I, missed, I missed the call, but I did fill out my, 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 uh, my, my form for the week. So no, I saw that. I got, I got your grade. Yeah. You're good. Okay, okay. I thought I did really well last week. I was like, I ate. I mean, that's right now is, which is crazy because for the most part, when you're on steroids, because I had to go back on steroids for the brain stuff, but when you're on steroids, you have this, 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 uh, you can't satisfy your hunger. And, Mm -hmm. um, this now I'm having the opposite where I'm having a hard time eating because I'm so nauseous. I'm so like, you know, like if I don't eat on a schedule, that's why routines are huge for me. I'm like, I'll forget. And I have not been ever a person that forgets to eat. I, I like food. So (laughs) I just, now I just try to make my meals more like nutritional. So I'm like, at least you know, even if I only eat twice, at least I got a good amount of macros. So my goal is 80% of my macros. I'm getting pretty good. <laughs> one one foot in front of the other. Exactly. Day, one day at a time. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Course, I want to thank the team. Me. Yes. I want to thank the team that's here producing and uh, listening in. So um, remember everyone that... <laughs> life is just I mean gosh just live it right live it (laughs) that's the message today you have no idea what's coming yeah live your life is not promised and every day when I go to sleep you always kind of think you're like okay how how did I do today so like some some days are really bad but anyways but you know so just remember how you make people feel that's what they remember so that's what they remember so well thank you so much Kristen and that is lights out for the behind the brawl podcast 